We were told today there was supposed to be some militia that was going to storm into D.C. and that they needed 5,000 National Guard troops to protect the Capitol because these militia conspiracy individuals believe that March 4th was the true inauguration day. Apparently, they believe that the United States is a corporation and that this corporation started with the 20th Amendment. And it's just it's nonsensical. However, there has been a lot of talk about something called Strauss Howe generational theory and talk that we're entering the fourth turning, which basically predicts societal collapse, followed by, at least according to Business Insider, a new world order, whatever that means. So we're just going to we're going to we're going to riff on this stuff. There Obviously, there was no militia storming D.C., but yet they're still saying we need National Guard to remain for two more months. Something weird is happening. And I think it's safe to say we are definitely in some kind of crisis period, which may be I think it's this would be the fourth turning, I guess. Yeah, this that would be the, the winter period, the winter period. We'll talk about that. But we are joined today by, I guess, a filmmaker. And you've done a ton of research into, say, DMT, uh, Ben Stewart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ben Joseph Stewart, um, benjosephstewart.com. Filmmaker, started off as a musician that didn't do so well. So I uh, decided to do the... Uh, do some DMT. <laughs> do some DMT and start making films. And uh, here I am. I just sneezed and showed up here. I got lost and I figured, oh, wow. Some let's... guy like pulled up on my parking lot and we were mm-hmm. like, you know, Ian walked out and said, hey... You ever tried DMT? And he was like, actually. And we're like, come on in. Got it. I'm actually in the fifth dimension right now. Yeah, it's totally so. true. Let's, let's talk about the fourth turning. Yeah. I will say, I saw your band, Hyrosonic, play, and it was incredible. So don't give up. That was back in I the world. Yeah. yeah, that was hot. Yeah. Really, really good. I Maybe you just didn't have the right marketing at the time, but I'd like to, like to see you play again. It was interesting, man. That was 11 years we were together, and we, we started, like, a year after we started, we were on Lollapalooza with... Wow. It was Jane's Addiction... Audio Slave, A Perfect hmm. Circle. Um, Sounds like you were actually pretty successful with that. I'm, yeah, you by the the bands that we played with, you would imagine, and then you'd look at our bank account and be like, oh, huh. you poor thing, your garage <laughs> band. We were touring nonstop, and we did some really excellent shows, but um, it, was just, it was just a strange time. And in the middle of it, I started deciding to make films because people really liked the lyrics, and they were like, what's the message about? I was going to make a 15-minute film about the message of the band and it turned into a two-hour documentary that had nothing to do with the band it was called esoteric agenda i just put it up online for free and um and people then asked for more so i began doing that and then eventually what kind of turned it into a career was gaia.com they hand selected me to they brought me in to do a whole series on psychedelics so all this crazy dmt stuff now we're going to talk about it, it all does kind of come together i guess you know, we, we normally like to do like, here's some big news of the day. Here's some cultural issue. But I think, you know, we're gonna have like a bigger picture conversation about where this might all be going, generational theory. But then there's also the, the this is really interesting stuff. The the studies into DMT, the extended state DMT stuff, where they're putting people on, you mentioned this earlier, putting people on DMT tri- drips. Yeah. So we'll get into all that stuff. But we're definitely gonna talk about like the political space and where we're all headed. Uh, don't forget, we also got Sarah Patch. Let's press on all yep, the buttons. Yeah, I'm here in the corner pushing all the buttons. I'm stoked for this conversation. So we'll see how this goes. Yeah, this should get, this should, this should yeah. get weird and trippy. Yes. We'll, we'll do more so of these like episodes. It. Uh, but before we do, head over to TimCast.com and become a member because we got a ton of members-only exclusive episodes and segments 
We got one just the other day. Jack Murphy says progressives can't be alpha. And he, he says Marxism is objectively anti-masculine. And it's a really interesting conversation. And we also have a bonus episode with Cassandra Fairbanks, Ryan Long. We got full episodes with James O'Keefe. Check it out. We set this up because eh, we, we might get banned in this great purge that's happening. You may have heard that uh, Right Side Broadcasting Network, they got suspended for simply filming Donald Trump speaking. Well, the speech had fake news, they said, false information. So they straight up, I think the suspension is two weeks. They are taking out news organizations. RSBN did not put out an opinion. So things are getting absolutely crazy. I mean, it was a wild and crazy day for censorship today. A lot of people think the Dr. Seuss stuff is silly, but they're now eBay's banning people from even selling their existing Dr. Seuss books. So we are definitely in some kind of crisis. But yeah, like if you own a Dr. Seuss book and you're like, I'm going to sell it to Ian and then put it up on eBay and Ian wants to buy it. They're saying, no, it's hate speech. It's offensive. You can't have it. They're going to drive the price of those way up. They're already up like 20 grand. Wow. It's crazy. So now you got to go like hunt people down and try and get one, like find them and like go on. Yeah. Black market quests. (laughs) But this is a really good example of how insane everything is getting. And so definitely go to TimCast.com, become a member. Let me start by showing you this article. And I I do this uh, with, with these articles specifically because... I want to make sure everybody realizes we're not just pulling these things, you know, out of thin air. These are conversations that actually happen. These are articles that actually exist. And these are ideas that we did not come up with. Business Insider says a book published nearly 25 years ago predicted America would hit a great crisis climaxing around 2020. And that up next is a millennial versus boomer standoff that will usher in a new world order. They say America sees a turning every 20 years as one generation displaces another. And the dynamic between one particular generation entering elderhood and another entering young adulthood creates a crisis every 80 years, according to a theory prophesized in Neil Howe and William Strauss's The Fourth Turning. The authors wrote the next crisis era would start around 2005 and climax around 2020 and would involve millennials and boomers fighting over the shape of the world to come. There are some similarities between recent events and the book's predictions. The 2008 financial crisis can be seen as the catalyst they mentioned. And in 2020 and in early 2021, unrest has shaken the economy, politics, the economy twice and the economy. Okay, it's unclear whether the fourth turning is how and Strauss characterize it is really happening right now. But the parallels are certainly eye catching. There's also some other uh, there's other, other theories. There's also Thucydides trap, which suggests that whenever an economic power is about to displace the principal superpower, War breaks out. In the past 16 major instances, 12 times there has been very serious war. Many fear that we are now entering this period with China. I guess the bigger question is, if these academics predicted this was going to be the fourth turning and we are going to enter in some catastrophic period, if people can see Thucydides' trap, are there efforts to prevent it? And before we open, go into like the bigger discussion, I'll just point out, uh, they say that the last 80-year period start, and I guess it, it started just after World War II, right? Mm-hmm. Actually, yeah. why don't you explain like what, what this means? <clears throat> well, the whole thing, you know, so the fourth turning is the fourth season. That's the winter crisis. And, you know, so they call it a saculum, which means a long life. Um, this goes actually all the way back to the Etruscans um, prior to the Romans. But it starts, let's just say it starts in the spring with a high um, and then it goes into an awakening, which would be the summer, and then the fall is called the unraveling, and then the winter is the crisis period, and it keeps turning. I heard a really good guy actually interviewing um, uh, Neil Howe 
I think it was. And he said, like, you know, if history doesn't repeat, it surely rhymes. Because every single time these crisis periods come back around, they're not exactly the same, but they resemble each other. And there's, there's core tenets to them that resemble one another. And, um, and yeah, they, they surely said, like, the, the book came out in 97. They said somewhere around 2005, give or take a couple years, there's going to be an inciting incident. And if it comes later, it'll probably come at around 2008, right when two-thirds of the boomer generation, I think it was, would uh, be eligible for their social social security. So that was the housing uh, collapse right there. And that would be an economic inciting incident that would lead into, and I wrote some things down, we can get to it later, but they in chapter six of the book, The Fourth Turning, there's eerie like very eerie kinds of predictions that go right into what you could call now the winter period, the crisis period. And then Game of Thrones, they were like, winter is coming. The yeah, long winter. But, uh, but does that mean we're through the worst of it? We're, we're on our way out towards this, you know, beautiful utopian springtime? It's very interesting because like they, uh, in the book, they said it will, it won't be any shorter than 15 years. It won't be any longer than 20 years if history repeats in the same way. Um, it's never gone any longer than 20 years. So after, cause I think Neil Howe works in DC now and he advises people and he said somewhere around 2028, it should be concluded. And that's when the high, the next high will start. And if you think about it, like the, the crisis is like a crunching period. And anytime you come out of a crunch, it feels like a high. There's a big restructuring. So uh, I've heard 2025 is the year to look at. So then when did the for, the last springtime start? The last springtime would have been, man, um, 1945? just after 1945. I mean, that, that seems like a pretty definitive end to the crisis period. Well, that means the crisis period reached its end with mass bloodshed and 76 million dead. When Yeah, yeah. When was the New Deal? Because apparently that was, they also mentioned that in the book, the New Deal. Because the, the, they don't just talk about like, war but for some reason when you go back 80 to 90 years you, you look at world war ii great depression 80 to 90 years before that give or take some civil war before that the the last winter was the revolution before that because they're talking mainly anglo-saxon history uh the glorious revolution in england and so it it lines up when you look at it, it definitely lines up there's other <coughs> authors who popped on to 1933 that. The New Deal, yeah. yeah. Okay. And the, the Glorious Revolution in England was like when they made Prince or King John sign the Magna Carta. Is that what that was? Was that it? I don't know. Was Six, that it was sometime in the 1600s, 12, I think. Oh, that was 1200. Yeah. Okay, yeah. never mind. That was, that earlier, was yeah. four turnings before. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I've noticed that in 2028, this year you're saying might be the new awake or not the awakening, but the uh, the high. The high is when graphene is purported to become peak, which means that society has completely... in in. in inundated itself with graphene like we're in a, instead of using steel we're now using graphene for buildings touch screens battery power electricity all that interesting yeah there's a lot of predictions elon musk says 2023 we should be able to expect um super intelligent ai i mean these are all you know speculations do you want me to just read just like two paragraphs of what they predicted would happen in this um, yeah, period yeah okay so they said Around 2005, a financial event will likely spark the, the coming crisis. A succession will be spoken of, he, uh, or succession will be spoken of heavily. Wait, wait, wait. Secession? I'm sorry, secession. Like seceding, states seceding yeah. from the union. And they said it could be something having to do with like taxes and IRS. But was it, they said that was going to happen in 2005? No, no. They, they said starting 
Starting in 2005, so they're saying there will be a financial event is usually what sparks these things. And like then the after crisis. that, they're talking about during the entire crisis period, you'll see these things come up. So secession will be spoken of heavily. A potential terrorist group may blow up an aircraft and claim to have portable weapons of mass destruction or nuclear weapons. The U.S. will um, potentially strike um, the responsible country preemptively. I don't know what that means because, the, you know, they, they, they already that, attacked. They already attacked. Um, some will blame the president for conco- uh, concocting the attack for political purposes. Militia groups will rise up against um, urban gangs, uh, cyber attacks. CDC may announce the spread of a new communicable uh, virus. This is all in Chapter 6. I, wow. I'm not making this up. What is happening? <laughs> you know, uh, a new communicable virus that will reach densely pop- populated areas and kill some. Uh, I'm trying to use as many verbatim words as I can. Mandatory quar- quarantine will happen. President uh, will order National Guard into major cities. Uh, again, urban gangs battling suburban militias. And uh, calls mount for the president to declare martial law. Insurrection um, will um, – I, I, I know they said that uh, several times in Chapter 6. I just didn't get the exact sentence. But they mentioned insurrection several times. And all events will escalate. They're like every – the inciting incident will set off a chain reaction of other events. And until the climax, there will be nothing that brings down the intensity. Every so inciting like, incident. like World War II, when World War II officially ended, boom, springtime next. Mm-hmm. So that means 2027 is going to be brutal. It's going to be absolutely chaos. I mean, the theory is maybe it was 9-11 that sparked this, and that was the the – aircraft thing that they actually mentioned and no, now they, they, this is the brutal ending to oh and they wrote when they wrote this when in 1997 it was published in 97 which means that i think they started writing it in 88 with a different idea so wait mind. wait 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 they wrote in, and they published it way before 9-11 and said someone will get an aircraft that's crazy yeah they they also mentioned and this is just in the book i did a podcast on uh, kyle kingsbury um not too long ago and he I turned him onto the book and then he hit me up. I didn't even hear this part. He was like, in the very first chapter, they mention Bill Gates, eugenics and popula- uh, depopulation in the same sentence in, in 97. What? Yeah. And, and, uh, or in the same paragraph. It's one of those two. And I didn't even catch that. And then they, so they mention him a lot. They mention Al Gore a lot. Um, and so they, they also give like what you, what you would call a constellation, like people born under certain, like, we would all be millennials, I imagine, and so we're born during the unraveling, and we've only known unraveling and crisis. I think I think it might be a, a it's 40, called like exennial. Yeah, Generation Y. I was no. told growing up. No, Generation not quite X, like at tail end of Generation X. Okay, seventy nine yeah. was the year. Yeah, so that was exennial. that would be tail. tail there was end no of crisis that. when I was a kid. It was beautiful roses. It was awesome. So you would be considered a nomad, and I would be. We'd be considered heroes. People, How old are you? Uh, I'm thirty eight. So I was like right yeah. at the beginning of it. And then uh, people born in a crisis period <clears throat> period are called artists. And then people born during a high are called prophets. And mm. so they, they, they go into a lot of detail as to why they're named that. And, and so they talk about the boomers, their role in this crisis, Generation X in this crisis. So they, they, they predicted insurrection. Mm-hmm. They predicted militias. Portable weapons, crashing now, a plane. A lot of this stuff, you know, I will say... We'd have to go into the book, and I'll tell you this. I didn't read the book. 
maybe they say, here's a hundred things that we think will happen. And then you just cherry pick the seven that are relevant to us and go, aha, that proves them right. Not really. So is it just like they threw a bunch of darts at the wall and said, we'll see what happens. And then we're, we're cherry picking. I'll tell you exactly what it is. Cause this, I was listening to it this morning. <clears throat> Everything I said, I didn't really leave out anything. If I might have left out anything, it would have been one thing. Um, and this is all in like two paragraphs. And so they, what they said was right afterwards, they were like, likely none of these things will actually happen in this way, but the underlying tone will, things like this will happen. This will be the nature of things to happen. And so th there wasn't much other than this. This was like two paragraphs. I just distilled it down a little right, bit. Right, 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 right. You know, so they, and then they went on to say like, in a crisis period, if it, if tensions keep rising and there is any spark of violence, it will likely lead to war. So I'm, I'm trying to use their words as much as possible. If it does lead to war, it's likely to end in total war. The, the enemy rendered nil. Um, and afterwards, one society dies, a new one is born. And basically there's, there's no way to stop a winter period from coming. But do they think that the United States is going to enter a new spring? Or in that context, what if China crushes the United States and destroys our society? In that sense, what they would say, because they, they, they do say that it is possible for the United States to be the, the loser in this. And they're really talking mainly, it's centric around the U.S. So when they do talk about this, um, they say that no matter what, the spring is also coming. So spring will definitely come, but that's not really saying much for the, the losing side. You know, it's crazy. Is that you go back 80 years, what do you got? The end of World War II. Mm. You go back 80 years before that, what do you got? End of Civil War. You go back 80 years before that, what do you got? The Revolution. End of the Revolution. These are all wars. Crazy. And dude. what they say is every single time, if there's war, the most um, powerful weapons of war are definitely used. There's, there's no way around it. So you look back... You know, the, the um, atomic bomb at yeah. the end of World War II. Before that, what was the most powerful thing? The Gatling gun? No, the Gatling gun, I think, was uh, 1873, maybe? Okay. My gun history good? No, probably not. But uh, they were using percussion revolvers. I think they were... Man, I, I don't know a whole lot about guns, but I'm sure a lot of people are like, I'm surprised you know those things existed. Uh, they had these... Uh, I'm pretty sure they had percussion re revolvers. Basically, you would load the charge, like, you know, uh, what is it called? Muzzle load? But mm -hmm. it's like you'd pour into the side of the revolver and then you put a, a percussion cap on the back. Mm -hmm. And then there were a couple different models. Uh, really amazing technology for the time. I'd, I'd say there was one where it had two triggers. You pull one to, to rot rotate and pull the hammer and the other to fire the hammer. Mm -hmm. And uh, they're not particularly convenient, but it was like it was uh, I think it was the Lon London Armory. Was it London Arms Company? I don't know a whole lot about this stuff. I, I should learn my gun history. And uh, they were selling to the Confederate. I think they were selling the Confederates. And so they were, they were giving them these percussion rifles. So that was like really revolutionary tech at the time mm. that you could carry around this loaded, you know, I think they had, what, eight shots maybe? And so f coming from the muzzle-loaded era of just like, you know, stuffing the ball and you mm -hmm. know, through the muzzle and then firing and then doing it again, all of a sudden these guys had small arms where they could go boom, boom, boom. So that's, that was legitimate technology. So what do you think it is today? Is it even I don't weaponry think, like explosives? That this, so this is what I've been talking about when it comes to this concept of like civil war and all that is no, it's, it's, it's mind control. It is absolute mind control. When, when, uh, the easiest way to, to understand that we are all being mind control, mind controlled is first. When people 
in ve- okay, let me let me tell you something. I, I talk to people about persuasion techniques. I used to do nonprofit fundraising, literally walking up to strangers on the street and being like, I need you to give me $100 right now. And I could make people sign over credit cards. It's really amazing when you consider there's a job where someone standing in the street greets a stranger and then says, give me your credit card information right now and you will get nothing in return. That is the fundraiser's job when they do the street canvassing. What you're doing is you're selling them an idea. So it takes real persuasion and skills. I always tell people, you are not invincible. No one is. Everyone can be controlled and manipulated. And you know what everyone says? Not me. me. So here's what I do. Whenever I explain to people, I'll say, I can make you say something. And they'll say, no, you can't. I can make you say something. and You don't even realize it. I can make you say, yeah, but not me. Want to bet? And they'll be like, what? I'm not, I won't say that. And then I'll wait a minute or two. And then I'll be like, let me explain to you how, how mind control manipulation works. I'll break down the basics of it. And they'll go, yeah, but not me. And I'll go, you owe me 10 bucks. I made you say that. I, it's not so much that I made you, but I knew the sequence of events to get you to say it. Considering that, I always tell people, if mind control, mental manipulation wasn't a thing, Coca-Cola would not be spending billions of dollars on these commercials and billboards and research. You would not have social media companies selling your data to predict your behavior. Mm -hmm. They want to know what makes you do things and why, so they can exploit you for resources. It sounds a bit nefarious. You can break it down to the guy at Coke wants to make 10 more dollars, and he's going to do whatever he can to figure out how to get you to buy another Coke. It's called marketing. But now you have this era where it's been so incredibly refined that big tech companies, they know what what you think. They know why you're thinking it. They know what they want you to think. And they are absolutely stripping away the individuality through these networks. What's happening now is whether intentionally or not, we cannot go outside in big cities for the most part, Mm. mostly in blue areas. Can't go to bars, can't go to restaurants, got to wear a mask. Hard to talk when you're wearing a mask. Hard to read someone's lips. A lot of people don't realize this, but when we talk to each other, we are reading lips. Mm. So there, there's a bunch of research showing how you can change the sound, but the lips will still make people hear a different word. When you're in a bar and someone's talking, you will hear the sound and the movements of their mouth and go, I know what they're saying. Take away the image, you know, take away the ability to see their mouth. And now you're going to be more confused. Very, very difficult to communicate ideas during this lockdown. Then you go on social media and they say, you can't talk about this, 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 or this. You can't say that. Donald Trump's speech, gone, outright. Right Side Broadcasting Network, you're banned for two weeks for even showing the president saying it. Ideas are being restricted. This is the greatest weapon we've ever seen. Imagine if in during the Civil War, a guy showed up to the Confederate and said, I will win you this war without you firing a single shot. Will you buy this weapon? And they say, what is it? And they would say the printing press or mm. the ability to spread propaganda in a guaranteed manner. What if I told you that the people of the North could only read what we made them read? We could we could tell them that we could have them vote for for insane things that would destroy their own country. We can have them vote for send you know uh, for politicians that would harm them. We can trick them into believing their, that our soldiers are in different areas. You control what they think, and you need not fire a single shot. You could march into D.C. And never have to fight anyone, and they will smile and celebrate as you do it. That's what's happening with big tech and all this manipulation. Who needs a nuclear bomb? What's that gonna do? Scare and harm people? In today's day and age, why bother forcing someone through violence? When you can simply tell them to do well, it and they will. If you look at the CCP, what they're doing to the Uyghurs, like that's violent. Like why not be violent if you can? I guess that's up to these psychopaths is what they're thinking. And I've listened to Putin talk about weapons of war and said that all this defense against intercontinental ballistic missiles has become null now. You can fire late like orbital strike 
from and he was very vague about what kind of weapons rods they have. from god yeah he was like they can't stop it no, you guys, the united states can't stop our you guys weapons. know what rods you, you know what rods from god are i heard about tungsten that. hypothetical tungsten rods floating in orbit that they just release and then gravity pulls it down and then interesting i didn't know it was that Yep. Uh, I thought it had more to do with satellites, but... Um, well, yeah, satellite would be holding a tungsten rod and just release okay. it. Okay. And then release it would just it fall. Time. Just I'm also fall. concerned with drone dogs. Like, we were talking about drone dogs before, like mm-hmm. drone weapons, you know, like nuclear mis- nuclear bombs attached to a drone well, we'll, that we'll, can fly through a window. Let's get into that, but I, I do want to talk a little bit more about Strauss Howe, and then I do want to talk about the police state, the the, 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 the cyber dogs they got in New York. Uh, so this the, the, the Strauss Howe generational theory... When does it start? Is there was there something before the Revolutionary War, or are they just basically saying, "Hey, we had a revolution. Eighty years later, a civil war. Eighty years, eighty years later, World War Two. Probably another thing's going to happen." Or are they, or was there something we just don't talk about before that? Yeah, you know. So in the book, they they're not really clear. The earliest uh, crisis period that I think they mention is the Glorious Revolution, though they do go back into Roman history and they say that the term "saculum" means a long life because, by the way. You know, anyone who's entering this crisis period um, wasn't around in the last crisis. So uh, it's usually people are dead. They're they're not around enough to even know what the pattern means. So history repeating itself, they don't quite get it. But it goes back to the glorious revolution, like I said, in um, in England. Before that, they don't really get much into this period. So it seems like they're talking Anglo-Saxon uh, American history, but they do mention... And this is where my understanding breaks down is other countries going through their own cycles. And they said, if two countries, this was also part of chapter six, if anyone wants to go in there and check it out of the fourth turning, if two countries reach their crisis period at the same exact time, usually that's when it uh, it will definitely end in war or it's a lot more likely to end in war. If two periods are, are two major powers specifically are in crisis at the same time. But it seems like... Well, we're facing two potential threats, China, but also civil war. And so if you're if we look internally, we have two tribal factions. You have the populist right and then you have the establishment. The populist left tends to support the establishment, tends to. Well, they'll rag on Joe Biden, but they'll throw their weight behind him. So, you know, you may as well have that. Then you have disaffected moderate individuals like me. I throw my weight behind Trump, for instance, to a certain degree, voted for the guy, supported him in some endeavors. But I, I, I'm fairly critical just like the populist left is critical of the Democrats, but also throw their weight behind them. It seems like because of Facebook's dominance, Twitter, the internal war being fought right now does include low tier violence and mass protests and riots, as well as many, you know, these individuals who stormed the Capitol. So there is violence, but it seems like the bigger fight is just the fact that lines of communi- communication are completely controlled right now mm-hmm. by the left tribe, which would say to me that by 2028, the, the the populist right tribe will be non-existent if that's the end of the of the you know major climax if they're talking about insurrection and violence and talk of secession it sounds like we are entering another civil war period texas is already they got a, they got legislation pushed forward that will allow the state to vote for secession mm-hmm. and the texas gop is supporting the bill I, I support the idea that people should be allowed to vote for things they want will they actually be able to pull it off i don't know but if Joe Biden who is, is pushing this very, very heavy gun control stuff, that's the easiest way to look at how Joe Biden's policy demands do not fly at all with red states and, and, and some blue states to a certain degree. What mm. I mean by this is the gun control measures he, propose, he proposes 
are very good for blue, blue cities. The people who, who live there, they want them. They like them. They don't want guns. And they live in really close proximity with cops everywhere. So for them, they get it. But Joe Biden wants to have this gun control even in red states nationwide. So what's happening now is the ideological divide between how someone wants to live is so they're so diametrically opposed that when Joe Biden is like, I'm going to pass laws that benefit cities, you know, to hell with everybody else. You end up with talk of right now we have many counties who want us to secede from those states to go to red states. But sooner or later, we're going to see more than just murmurs. We're in 2021. If the climax is supposed to be or we're in the climax, but if the end is supposed to be 2028, I don't think it's fair to call the climax right now. Because if this is going to keep mm. escalating until it finally goes off the cliff and just stops and then restarts, then the climax is going to be 2027, December 31st. But I'll tell you, I think September 11th was the inciting incident, and we're in year 20 right now. It's, I don't know. Because if you're talking about airplanes, I mean, The that's... financial crisis was, was way, way, way worse. Well, now, we can talk in terms of uh, global damage and societal change. The, econ- so. the economic collapse, it sparked Occupy Wall Street. It created years of mass protests. It led to the rise of people like Trump and Bernie Sanders. So w- the reason we get someone like Trump, a lot of the people who supported Trump were Occupy supporters. Now, I get it. 9-11 was, all, was, was a nightmarish yeah, tragedy. It, it, it birthed and, the, the Patriot Act, which is basically the martial law part of this. Yeah, but the Patriot Act was, if, if anything, people didn't care. Oh, they, they, I cared. Sure, I sure. Listen, some activists heads. cared, but for the most part, it didn't impact regular people. The mortgage-backed security crisis, the financial crisis, everything that followed brought people to zero, and people were were desperate. They were angry. And what did they see? The banks get bailed out. So what happens then is you go to Occupy Wall Street. You had left and right basically screaming F the establishment. Well, try as they might, and, and they succeeded. They kept the left and the right divided on this issue. When the young leftists came into Zuccotti Park, they drove away the libertarian and the conservative ideas that were there and dominated with far left populist ideas. You then move forward and you have the rise of Bernie Sanders. The establishment clearly did not want Bernie Sanders to have any power, but they were they, they seem to have been taken by surprise at the rise of this left populist movement. And Hillary was furious and Bernie was rivaling her. She was supposed to win. Bernie mm. wasn't supposed to get close. So they cheated. They were submitting, for, you know, one example is they gave the questions to Hillary so she would know what they were going to ask her and could prepare beforehand. The whole thing seemed to be dirty, and Bernie Sanders supporters believed it. But you also got many people who saw the populist message from Trump. The interesting thing about the 2015-2016 presidential cycle was that Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump had many of the same core policies. Bernie Sanders is on record speaking with Vox.com saying, open borders is a Koch brothers right wing proposal. You had people. I met I met three guys in Anaheim at a Trump rally who said they were originally Bernie Sanders supporters. They flipped for Trump when Hillary won. Why? They said Bernie Sanders is is a guy whose job has been has been to be a politician. And he's talking about these free trade agreements. He's talking about union workers. I like these ideas. He's a little too far left for me, but he seems genuine and way better than the establishment. When Hillary Clinton basically took it from Bernie, they said, well, the only other guy talking about these free trade agreements and bringing our jobs back is Trump. So they flip for Trump. Two different elements of the populist revolt, which started primarily because of the economic collapse and how it destroyed the lives of many people. Now you have two things to consider. For one, boomers' lives were destroyed and they got angry. So they said, Bernie or Trump. You then had millennials who are now entering a job market competing with boomers for entry-level jobs. Now you have Gen Z who literally entered the market after that where there were no jobs. 
And so they're all basically becoming socialists, or I should say they're very socialistic, albeit there is a slight twi- uh, uh, push towards some conservatism. But it's no surprise that you see so many socialist youth when they're like, by the time I was old enough to get a job, what scraps were left were taken up by millennials. The millennials are like, I did everything I was told to. And then when I tried to get a job, all I could get was entry level garbage. I could barely pay off my student loans. The system isn't working. When you take a look at the M1 money stock, what do you see? Up until 2008, there's a slow and steady increase. At 2008, it sharply increases. And then here in 2021, or I'm, I'm sorry, in 2020, it shoots straight up. Now they say it's because they changed the reporting metric for it. However, before they changed the reporting metric, the spike had already begun. So if anything, it seems like they changed the reporting metric because they needed to mask it to some capacity. So in my view, 2008 was this major economic catalyst, which sparked this populist uprising, which leads to Donald Trump, which leads to now claims of Democrats saying insurrection, the culture war and the clashes and everything around it are all merging into one. And it's coming to a point where we just had federal charges for Antifa dropped in Portland. Yet they're going after some befuddled granny who walked into the Capitol building when the cops opened the door for her. Republicans and people on the tribal right can see that, that there's a double standard and they're being treated like second class citizens, that Antifa for over a year can burn down entire cities. And the vice president before now at the vice president literally can fundraise on their behalf and it is accepted. But you get a video of the cops opening the door at the Capitol and saying, well, I don't agree with it, but I, with it, I agree with your right to protest and welcoming them all in. And these people walk in smiling, taking selfies, respecting the velvet ropes, smiling and taking pictures with the cops. And now these people are facing serious charges and they're being called insurrectionists Mm. and lawyers won't even represent them. Now we're seeing the wave of censorship that's escalating. The conflict has only gotten worse. Both sides are ready to just slam into each other. And I think it's going to get bad. I think the uh, the 2008 thing makes a little bit more sense, mainly because there's something about the, the winter crisis period that they mentioned. So like, instead of just looking at the external, like what are, what are the events and, and things like that? Take a look at people's behavior. Cause they, they do say sparks inciting events. If it happens in a different turning, like in the, in the spring or the summer or the fall, we behave differently. Um, and so in 2001, you didn't see as many people amassing. So they say in a high, period, which is right after a crisis, the number one thing that sparks uh, create is synergy. It's actually synergy. Um, in uh, an awakening, which you go back and look at the hippie generation, it's argument. That's the number one thing sparks uh, do. And then during an unraveling, it's anxiety. But during a winter period, it's action. And you see a lot more action come the 2008, like, you know, from that entering to... Um, uh, the Occupy, and then everything from there, people, and, and even just the ease of social media getting together, bringing your ideas together, it seems like people are a lot more action-oriented. And they do say that, you know, the new presidents that come in during this period will will have a, you know, no BS, like straight to the point, let's get down to business kind of like action orientation. The one thing they do say, which I noticed because I was listening to a bunch of podcasts um, on January 6th, when the thing happened at the Capitol. And they were in this book, they say that these events are going to start devaluing. Um, like basically there's going to be a massive devaluation. And I remember that thing that happened on the sixth, the, the storming of the Capitol, it didn't really reflect itself 
in the market the same way. Bitcoin kind of stayed the same. Everything else kind of stayed the same. Stocks were going up. I remember a lot of people that I was listening to, and these were just people who are like, you know, speculating constantly, and they have their podcast, and they were saying something is is not right. Something is disconnected here from reality. So that is one thing that the book, like, it, it was it was suspecting that during this period, you're going to see um, devaluation constantly. Maybe it's happening and we're not seeing it. Um, oh, no, no, no. It, it is happening. Mm-hmm. There are reports that uh, the cost of food is already starting to skyrocket, going up double-digit percentages. Uh, fast food and, and dining, it's just – it's way up. So there, there's major predictions of food shortages and or food inflation. So Texas had a food shortage because of the winter storm. It made it impossible for trucks to come in. But now one of the thing, one of the things I'm seeing a lot of, people don't notice this stuff because we're basically frogs in a pot. Mm. We're coming to a slow boil and we don't realize it. I, I, I saw someone on Twitter say, I just went to the grocery store to buy a week's worth of groceries and I couldn't believe it was almost double what I normally spend. A lot of people aren't really paying attention to how much it's costing them. And I think there's a couple of reasons for it. For one, frogs in, in a pot, you don't really notice these gradual changes. But a lot of people just don't have money anyway. You're, we're not getting the stimulus. A lot of people are out of work. They're on unemployment. So they're like, I don't know, not paying my rent. They're not really focused on the cost of goods right now, but they are definitely going up. The stock market is a strange disconnect, mm. but maybe it's just because it's a delayed reaction. Yeah, it seems like it's six to eight months bit, behind. With Bitcoin going up to 50, was it $56,000 for Bitcoin? Before it dipped again. Yeah. Before it yeah. dipped again. That says something. It went in only a few months. Mm-hmm. It went from 13,000 in November to what? Uh, February, 56,000. In only a few months, it skyrocketed that much. That says something about the confidence of, of the stock market and this country. And I have to wonder if we are just, like you mentioned, six to eight months delayed before the market takes a hard nosedive. Mm-hmm. You know, you basically convinced me that it was 2008 because the, when the sparks flew of September 11th, it was anxiety. And that's, if that's a fall, if that's, yeah. a, then that's, it was yeah. anxiety. Yeah. And that's kind of the, the part of the constellation. You really have to look at our, our behavior. And we preemptively strike, you know, we, we, we preemptively went after a nation or whatever. Mm-hmm. Iraq, but they predicted, Libya. They, they predicted that in, in the crisis or did they predict that at some All point? of that was during the crisis that I mentioned. So that was a little early, the, the, the preemptive strike against another country. Libya right. that was, was later. And, and you got to wonder, I mean, in the same thing is like, you know, when you are exiting, um, the real fall going into the real winter, one starts to look like the other. By the end of right. fall and the beginning of winter, it does just kind of fade into one another. So this still could make sense in that respect. But I mean, like there's, this was just the inciting incident. And then so like, there's a lot of ways of looking at like, what are the sequence of events and where does it culminate? Like, where does it go? I think there? when it comes to predictions, it's very difficult, uh, d- depending on your ability to calculate the variables in front of you, you can make better and better predictions. Mm-hmm. It sounds like these guys are very, very smart. And they were able to see a wide range of variables and track which they thought was the highest probability based on the things that were going to happen in their time period and based on history. In which case, they were able to, for I would say, fairly accurately predict things. We don't expect people to be actual psychics who can tell you on this date at this time, the lottery number will be this. But someone for someone to say, there will be an economic catalyst. There will be insurrection and militias. There will be fights in the streets. And it's like all that stuff is happening. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the other thing I think people should understand, too, is is semantics and, and the language they use. Is it fair to say when they mention the militias fighting, would it be fair to say, well, we've seen right and left clashes over the past four or five years? 
in suburbs and, and you know, outlying areas. Yeah. We've seen Proud Boys and Antifa. We've seen right-wing groups putting on shields and helmets and bats and going and fighting the left. And we've seen the culmination of le- a left-wing guy walking up to a right-wing dude and just putting two bolts in his chest. Is that basically what they're talking about? My opinion is it's fair to say, yes. It's, it's definitely fair to say because, again, you look at the people, like, were there protests in previous seasons? Yes. Like, what does the action look like here? It's, it's, you know, tensions got a lot higher here. And then, I mean, you could also go into, um, it's kind of interesting because when you mention that, I, I often hear the same trigger words. Like, why are we hearing the word insurrection, secession? Um, you know, obviously the CDC, the spread of a new communicable disease, that blew my mind when I heard that part of it. But then even go into people like Catherine Austin Fitz, and you, you could say what you think about her theories, but she was saying, you know, when she researched the 37 protests that happened in 2020, 34 of them happened within a very short um, mileage around central, well, Federal Reserve banks, and that a lot of <laughs> infrastructure was destroyed around that. Her theory um, was that it was to basically buy that infrastructure for pennies on the dollar, build up the smart grid. Because my big question is here is like, where are we heading? How can we visualize the spring? What is it going to look like? Because if it also changes, I mean, most people, they're just like war. Is there going to be war? That's what they're afraid of. But it's also like, how's the economy going to change? Everything is already moving towards blockchain. It's moving more digital. A lot more, we're a lot more reliant on the technology. Um, I think in Africa, the first baby was, you know, unborn child was already put on the blockchain and like the moving in this direction. And I've heard the, the, the big change, the great reset moving from shareholder capitalism to stakeholder capitalism, which is, you know, basically it's just a restructuring of what our economy is now. And I just find it very interesting. It's definitely going more digital. Um, I think a Bitcoin is going to be worth a million bucks, and it's going to be worth a million bucks relatively soon. By relative, I mean within a few years. I think one Bitcoin will be a million dollars. It's going to be 75K really fast. If you look at the charts, how it shot up to like 38, back down to 27, up to 56, back down to 45. It's going up to 75, Mm. back down to 62. while, while, While you can look at Bitcoin and predict to a certain degree, you can like actually create, you know, like, here's what it did. Here's what it will likely do. I think the reason we saw this massive jump was very different than the previous. What we saw previously with Bitcoin was just popular mentions. People started talking about Bitcoin, started buying it, made the price go up, then made more people talk about it. And then it created a snowball rolling down a hill where everyone's like, Bitcoin's so high and everyone's buying it. I think Bitcoin skyrocketed this time because you have chaos, uncertainty, destabilization, capital insurrection, Donald Trump's claims of fraud, all of this stuff. Mass inflation. And mass inflation from mm-hmm. the previous year. So now you're looking at, in, you know, um, insurance companies, foreign countries. Now, now there's rumors that Twitter may buy up a large portion of uh, Bitcoin. I think that's proven not true because they did that apparently to buy title, I guess. But a lot of people are speculating who's going to be the next big company to put their balance sheet in Bitcoin because it's a safer bet than dollars right now. Tesla. Tesla. Definitely. Move the needle a bit. There's this thing. I'm trying to think of the name. It was... Um Facebook, I believe, that has, it's not a, I don't even think it's a crypto, but it's its a different kind of asset that is based upon the average of all currencies everywhere. So it's not mainly based in one. And that's a protection, protectionary thing where like if 
the dollar all of a sudden fails, but everything else stays stable, then you don't feel it that much. Was that the yeah. Libra token? That the Libra. On? That's what it is. Yeah. Libra. Mm-hmm. They really? they started it, and then the SEC hit them pretty hard. Really? Said it was a security, so they pulled back on the program. I don't know much more. Interesting. Yeah, I, I didn't look too much deeper into that either, but I, I started seeing in this period. A lot of people are looking forward to the high and they're wondering like what's stable and what has endurance? What's going to last? Like is Bitcoin always going to be the gold standard for crypto? You know, I, I, I hear this talk a lot, you know, I and think so. First in best address. I don't see why not. Yeah. Yeah. I guess my, my question is how bad will things get? And, uh, you know, look, I have to talk about fifth generational civil war, mm-hmm. information warfare, manipulation. What do you think? Do you think you think we're in like a civil war period? I've, uh, so I've often thought like when they said the the weapons of war will constantly be the most powerful and effective weapons of war, and this time around, I wonder if it's it's it doesn't seem like explosions. I think you're right. It has to do with the colonization of the mind. Um, I mean, you could go all the way back to the um, was it the CIA director William Casey in the '80s that said like our disinformation program will be complete. When everything the American public believes is false. I mean, that's a meme. I, I've found that also in several books. You know, I like there's also William Colby beforehand, which was basically saying, yeah, we definitely have, you know, um, we've infiltrated journalism. We have to because we have to control the narrative in many ways. So the narrative is huge. Like if you get people following the narrative, what was it Aldous Huxley who said eventually when, when you have people knowing that they're being oppressed, they revolt. But if you can give them enough bread and circuses or just bring them their, their pharmaceutical revolution, right, then how do you get people to be quite happy in their servitude? So basically accepting the way things that are going, well, I would imagine you have to control the narrative. So yeah. th- then I start taking a look at like, well, what's happening today? Social media, it's so much easier for everyone in this room is going to have a different feed. We're going to have something different showing up on my feed than your feed. And all of that is is part of our digital twinning, right? We all have a digital avatar potentially run through different simulations to see how, you know, how is Ben Joseph Stewart with all his data going to behave if he gets these, this kind of media, you know, it's, I think, you know, we've heard enough of that, even Elon Musk saying AI writing blogs and just like, if something doesn't hit, just slightly adjust, slightly adjust, slightly adjust. I think it's information for sure. Think, think, think about what this means. You're going to have, we, we already have this where AI writes news articles. So this has been around for quite some time, actually, maybe over 10 years. I went to a presentation in Chicago at the, I believe it was the Art Institute, where some guy showed us examples of how the AI does it. At the time, it was fairly rudimentary. It was like, if you have a weather system where the data is, you know, very easily, you know, inputted, Mm. it says thunderstorm Wednesday, 9 p.m., rain, then all they need to do is add very simple English. On Wednesday at 9 p.m., there will be a thunderstorm. And so you ended up with this very short article that said, your weather for the week on Tuesday, you can expect to see. And so it adds these very simple bits of English and then just inputs that data. Then we started seeing that around uh, sports games, because the data from sports games was very easy. They could actually write more substantive articles where it would say things like football player, you know, X scored, you know, this many points in the game. And so uh, a quote from a guy says this, and no one has to actually write anything. The data points just exist mm-hmm. from 
the existing, you know, infrastructure. Like when, when, when you go to Google, you can see the, the score from like a football mat, a football, football game or something. Mm-hmm. All that has to do is take all of those things, find the name, find the players, you know, stats for the game, and then boom, you've got a substantive article. Now we're coming to this point where why do we need woke rage bait writers mm-hmm. when an AI can, you, you can enter in a subject matter. You could simply just type in, okay, we have a, a guy and he's racist. He was in Texas. He yelled at a waiter. And then it can generate automatically the opinion. And if it doesn't work, then the next time it can learn what the better opinion is that will get more people to click it. We're getting dangerously close to this point where you're not going to realize the the opinion you're reading isn't from a human being. It's automatically generated by an AI who doesn't know or care because it doesn't have the capacity to. And it's making you lose your mind and Mm want to go insane and be violent. You know, what's really interesting about you saying that is, um, so like I was studying this thing called Zipf Law, Z-I-P-F Law. And it's basically this algorithm that you can put towards any language and it will show whether it's a natural language or not. So all human languages follow this law. Music also follows this law. And it's the same with our, our genetic code. And so this started coming into what's now called, um, uh, linguistic genetics. That's showing the way we use words, even thinking words, they, it, it works in the same way that our genes do, and our words actually have epigenetic effects on our DNA. Wow. And so when you're saying that about AI, let me talk into the mic, when you're saying that about AI, there's something about what it's trying to do is keep your focus, keep your attention. Right. Like, you know, what you focus a lot of attention on, you know that your body starts to become engaged in that. And so there's there's something is almost hypnosis. In fact, it absolutely is hypnosis when you can focus your body and your mind on one thing. Spiritual traditions had it where you you breathe and you focus on a light or something like that. Nowadays, it's these articles he was just talking while you were pissing or whatever you were doing. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> I feel better. Yeah, like so. Basically, I was saying that we're getting to the point where you can have a human just input a few things like. Let's say today Ian uh, did a backflip to the right. Ian backflipped, and I say it's racist. Enter, and then the AI can generate a long-winded thing where it's just like, today I was reading an article, and I heard about this guy Ian who did a backflip. Now, why am I so angry about it? So all of those things that sound human that are like telling a story could be just artificially generated. And what happens then is the AI will then auto-generate this article based on – actually, it's like Ryan Long's sketch. Uh, you're familiar with Ryan Long, the comedian? Yeah. He did that bit where it's like, blank has a blank problem. Huh. And then he's, and then he showed all these ridiculous articles where it's like, you know, swimming has a transphobia problem and, uh, and like basketball has a gender problem. Like you can just buzzwords. That formula exists. An AI could easily fill in the gaps once you make that, that sentence. And what'll end up happening is, the AI will auto-generate the article. I'm sure these things exist already. Mm. And then they'll try and see how much traffic it gets, how long people are staying reading it. And if it, do- and then they'll keep tweaking it. And then they'll make another version. It'll do a little bit worse. They'll make another version. It'll do, version will do a little bit better. They'll keep that version. They'll keep iterating and learning. 
And then eventually you will find the perfect rage bait content being mass produced for profit to keep people in a perpetual state of anger and anxiety. And you're making me think of procedurally generated video games as well as artificial intelligence oh, builds yeah. out our digital realm. And they're like, this guy likes to turn right a lot. So let's give him a lot of right turns in his game to keep him playing this game yep. and to keep him engaged in my meditative trance mm. that I want him paying what? into. Imagine, imagine this in your phones. There's this motion sensor. And there's out of Aston University, I think his name is Max Little, I think he's a mathematician. He found that people, you know, they, they keep their phones in their pockets and it can sense your gait cycle, the way you walk. And with that data, they found now this, there hasn't been a huge study on it, but a hundred percent accurate diagnosis of neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's, wow. multiple sclerosis, better than a doctor sitting and trying to yeah. diagnose you for the same because of the motion sensor that's already in your phone. So this is just the, like the failure of imagination is not realizing how you can figure out from a, a motion sensor, you know, neurodegenerative disease, disease and diagnose it. Imagine now AI helping us get better at figuring out how we can use the technology that's already here. So then I heard that Facebook um, was working on something that could predict your thoughts, literally predict your thoughts. Um, and so all their users, all the data, predict your thoughts, what you're going to type in, what you're going to look for. And that's what this thing called sentient world simulation is. You know, so it's a digital mirror of the, you know, our whole world, all the data points, everything connected to the Internet of Things, eventually the Internet of Bodies, which is basically just harvesting biometric data. It's the Matrix. It really but here's is. the crazy thing about the Matrix. In the movie, you have this AI that they say they tried to craft a, a utopian Matrix, but humans rejected it because they're predisposed to conflict. What they don't consider is that we're watching the construction of this Matrix and it's going to be absolutely perfect in every way. You are going to be completely entranced by it. It's going to know exactly what you want, when you want it, what to say, when to say it, to keep you locked in that state. We talk about, you, you mentioned video games, yeah. where they're like, hey, let's, this guy likes to, for some reason, he, he jumps a whole lot. Let's give him a platformer. Let's make him, let's make him have to work for it and enjoy it. They figure out what you want, so you keep doing it. What happens when we get to the point where we have Neuralink? When our social media is already doing this, our social media is already trying to feed us what they know will keep our eyes locked on that page. It's making everyone go insane. Mm. What happens when they figure out how to make it perfect that you will never unplug from neural? You end up rejecting it. This has been my experience the last week. I've been really hitting the games hard and I'm getting to a point where I'll sit and stare at my computer and think, I have no joy from this because this is not real conflict. But this is real conflict. But no, but listen, the norm. I don't no, know. No, no, I'm just, no, no, I'm just the you're, extreme. You're, you're explaining that we're not there yet. At a certain point, the AI is going to figure out how to overcome that hurdle. And they're going to be like, how did we lose this guy? You leaving? You gave him all the data they needed to figure it out. <clears throat> but they I showed you all of these things. Let's, let's say you're sitting at a computer and they're feeding you a random number generator. And then they, they served you the numbers 1, 17, 83, and 52. And at 52, you got up and walked out. The AI doesn't know or care. It's a, it's a simple machine. And they're going to say, don't give anybody 52. And they're going to slowly figure out, and the next person leaves at 52 anyway, and they're going to figure out what they need to do in this game to prevent you from feeling like you're not accomplishing But like something. in the movie The Matrix, people rejected it anyway. Even though it was perfect, they still just, they need conflict. They but need imperfection. You misunderstand. The AI would then give you that conflict. Hmm. They would create it. What I'm telling you is, you are not going to be able to escape from a perfect trance. 
The system will see you leave. When you left that video game, it collected all the data as to what you did, when you did it, and what they gave you. And they'll say, we did something wrong, and they will adapt. And the next person who's playing, they will slightly change it. Eventually, out of the thousands of people who are playing this particular game, the a- and I'm not saying the A exists right now. I'm saying in, in, uh, when, when we get to that point, eventually, with a thousand people playing, they'll make an, a certain amount of iterations where it'll discover we figured out, a, figured out how to get a person to play for another minute longer. Then they'll evolve that iteration. Eventually, you have you will have people strapped in the machine saying there's absolutely no reason to leave. Food being one of them, for sure. But if we're talking about a singularity in artificial intelligence, we're talking about robots that do work for us, that change, that do everything, you know, for uh, for our our bidding, then the AI will eventually start having food delivered for you. So you think you will never leave their game. The grand majority of people will eventually just give over to the Matrix as they did in the movie. But then there will be a small extreme that is just not satisfied that for whatever reason, the human brain's quantum calculator is greater than any AI we could build. I don't think so. And we'll pull out of it. I think humans evolved for very specific circumstances. And one of the interesting things about humans as an apex predator is that adaptation through our, our intelligence allowed us to essentially evolve faster than evolution would permit. Basically, when you look at a lion chasing a gazelle, right? Is that what they eat? They eat gazelle? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm not, you know, an animal guy. Amongst many other animals. Amongst many other animals. Well, the gazelle has to run fast, and the lion has to run faster. The lion has to be stronger, and so there's this uh, natural selection. There's a competition. Humans, instead of evolving to become faster to beat out the gazelle, evolve to become smarter. So what happens is, because we can develop tools, there is no evolutionary strategy for any animal which can escape our power. Nothing. We have conquered everything, every other life form on this planet, even diseases, Now, granted, they can evolve and we're we're in a constant war against diseases, but humans are the apex predator. And it's because evolution is too slow for us. But what that also means is humans are still animals who have adapted for very specific circumstances. These the, the technology that we've built adapts faster than life can adapt to it, which means we will potentially develop a technology which we will we will victimize ourselves with. We will create an AI that won't seek to destroy us like the Terminator or the Matrix. We won't go to war with it. There could theoretically be a war in the sense that the AI will be a mindless, in a sense, automaton seeking to give humans everything they've ever wanted. And there will be a few people who maybe break out of it for some reason or another can't be plugged in. And they'll be desperately trying to free people from this matrix. But the people will be like, get away from me. I know I'm in the matrix. I love being in the matrix. You go live in your garbage world. I have everything I could possibly ever, ever want. And that's what humans will get wrapped up, wrapped up, wrapped up into. And then they will just fall apart. Unless, of course, the true singularity means that the AI can replicate machines, which can manipulate digits, replicate themselves, expand their own technology, in which case humans will just become a remnant, I suppose. And then in tens of thousands of years or hundreds of thousands of years, there will just be self-replicating machines floating through the universe, replicating on various planets and no human in sight. And when you say years, that's basically the the time that it takes to travel a distance. So like time is just relative. I mean, it's not to diverge too far off, but when you say 10,000 years from now, you could just mean a certain distance away from us right now that is happening. That's that it takes 10,000 years to get there, whether or not time is passing, you're sitting here, you're going there. It's there. Like what, 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 what I mean that's is an extreme. It's this isn't the conversation. It, for that. It may be that we create a system that self replicates 
and humans just eventually cease to exist. And then the universe gets populated by self-replicating machines with no real consciousness, with no real drive or passions. And that's it. And they colonize the galaxy and people. Yeah. And then, and then you, you know what you end up with? You end up with like some moderately primitive civilization, like minding their own, minding their own business. And then str- a strange cube lands on their planet and starts just wiping everything out and, you know, terraforming it for no reason for a human, for a human race that doesn't exist anymore. Unless psychedelics are that X factor. <laughs> you mentioned, we were talking about DMT earlier. That's a, that's a great segue. Yeah. Well, here, here's the reason why I want to say that. There's a really interesting book called What Technology Wants, and it talks about evolution, and it says there's two main camps, and one is the contingency theory, the other is the um, inevitability theory. One is that contingency. Things just happen because at the moment, that's the best tool it had to arrive at a random meandering into whatever direction that billiard ball shot the other one off into. The other one is that everything inevitably is converging towards like, no matter what, we humans were going to be evolved here, even if you rewound and started over, over and over again. During the Metazoan period, there was eyes evolved 40 times, I believe, and different kinds of eyes have continually been evolved. And these are immaculate. Even Darwin was just like, there's something interesting about the eye, anything less out of it, and it wouldn't work as beautifully as it does. So inevitably, what this guy is saying is in what technology wants, awesome book, he's saying that technology is also inevitable. And the way yeah. we build it, it's it's also at a population density, we get to a point where this will always happen, what's happening on the planet right now. now and and just, just to finish this off, what I find super interesting is one of the tech hubs of the world, Silicon Valley. What was that area very popular for during the Awakening? Haight-Ashbury. Yeah, the psychedelic trances the of psychedelic. the 60s, Jerry Garcia. And a lot of those people actually went on to being techie. So Timothy Leary, huge into talking about, you know, psychedelics, this is how we turn on a generation. By the end of his life, he was talking about AI and he was talking about future tech. Terrence McKenna was doing the same thing. So I I do feel like, I do feel like what you were saying might have a little bit of merit that most people will be fine and they are the, the ones who were heard or group think Really, they just want to be part of the group. And then there's the outliers. Like you'll, you'll find outliers even among, you know, chimps or orangutans where like they, they study these chimps and they're like, why are they so depressed? They're always hanging out way outside. And they, they took these outliers and they studied them and then they brought them back. And it turns out that their entire tribe were murdered because they were, they're outliers, the ones who were different. They stayed on the outside of the group. They're also the early warning signs of external threats. Interesting. And so the interesting thing is, I wonder if there is an X factor and psychedelics, potentially, they seem to be this thing where like there's intelligence in nature. I believe there really is intelligence in nature. You know, call it just, it, it, you know, uses an algorithm to know how to grow towards the sunlight and, somehow synergize and harmonize with the mycelium blanket. And it really is this closed loop system that found a way to just survive. There's an algorithm, this very same um, equation that um, accounts for the, uh, what is that Mandelbrot set, that kind of infinity loop that, you know, generator is the very same equation that accounts for how um, populations, especially like rabbit populations, they balance themselves. They go to a peak and then they balance themselves. And it's always something. It's some external thing, whether it's a predator or, you know, the environment, something keeps it in check. It's this closed loop system. Is that the Fibonacci sequence, the Mandelbrot set? 
No. Different, different no, equation? Th- th- that's different. Yeah. Let me, t- let me tell you something crazy. You mentioned that, like, the eye was, like, essentially, some, some believe it was an ine- inevitability. Mm-hmm. Then it stands to reason that if we ever encounter extra t- extraterrestrial intelligence, they will look very, very much like us for several reasons. One, we evolved on a planet where we have an oxygen-rich environment, but not too oxygen-rich, which means we have the ability to manipulate fire, which allows us to separate certain elements and create various components. It allows us to create technology. It allows us to refine minerals and ultimately build rocket ships and other technology. An intelligent species, say the dolphin, they're fairly smart. They don't got hands. They're underwater. There's no fire by which to smelt anything, and there's no hands by which to manipulate things. Out of all the life that may exist in the universe, assuming it does, the ones that succeed in developing technology will probably be in a similar environment, or at least in a certain capacity, have the ability to manipulate elements, to create components and advanced technology, and have the ability to manipulate small things. So it's entirely possible that eyes will evolve, the ability to sense the visible spectrum, as we call it, the ability to have some kind of fingertips so that you can use smaller tools and make very refined computers and microchips and things like that. And probably, I would say oxygen makes a lot of sense because the ability to control fire. So they breathe similar things to us. They look particularly different. Who knows what their skin might be like? Maybe their sun is, is, is you know, bigger, smaller. Maybe they're further away from it or whatever. Maybe they like certain temperatures. But you look at the boiling point, the freezing point of water, where there's water that tends to be life, I think they would be extremely similar to humans. Maybe uh, we see symmetry in nature. They may have two arms. They may have four and no legs, and their arms function, you know, interchangeably, but they'll still be able to use fine tools. Like they could have a darker star, so they're not as light-focused. Maybe they're more receptive to heat, although I don't know if it's if what's more base, heat or light. Well, you have to think about the freezing point, boiling point of water. Yeah, they, hydrogen's they would, they, pervasive. They would likely exist in a similar uh, temperature set that we do. Now, I, I do think it can be a bit simplistic to, 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 to think that because there's probably things we haven't discovered yet. There's probably ways by which someone, some, you know, uh, species could eventually discover way, uh, a way to isolate certain elements and develop components without using fire. So based on our current technology, we can make that assumption. They must be in some way similar to our atmosphere or whatever like that. Uh, I think that's fair to say. But there was, I believe, in the past 20 years, they used to think the components for life were based on exactly what we were. They're like, oh, here's everything that life has. But they were looking only at Earth. Mm. And then there was a revision saying, instead of saying they need water— how about we say there needs to be some kind of base by which chemicals can mix and interchange? It doesn't need to be water. So it could be something else theoretically. But I think it's fair to say, you know, there's a good chance that assuming there is alien life, and I think the universe is certainly big enough to warrant it, they will actually be fairly similar to us. They won't speak English like they do in the Marvel movies, but like in the Star Trek, you know, show, they're all fairly humanoid. They all look different. They have different heads. It is a little over the top how they all are basically people, but their foreheads are a little different. But you look at some of the alien races and bipedal humanoid type structure. It probably, I think there's a decent probability of it. Maybe not a guarantee. You mentioned the bipedal part. Um, there's symmetry in, you know, just about all organisms, you know, so that symmetry is very interesting because like to produce two of everything, it, it helps the way we move and orient to gravity. But it also is like DNA can be more efficient. Just repeat the same thing on the other side, mirror it. And so they go into that. And they also speak about like contingency and inevitability. They, it's not one or the other. It's, it's yes. And like contingency, you were saying 
um, how maybe they found another way to get to a point that we did. Maybe they, they made jumps and strides. And their main point in the book is that technology is the main thing that does that. Like we, we have this contingency where it's like it, it usually it happens very slow, but technology, it can make huge strides because something else, you know, very intelligent is, is working on giving right. it those. It can jump a bunch of generations <clears throat> that we had to go through in the slow way. So contingency is the way that it happens and inevitability is where it's going. I've, so I know you, I'm going to California, but where, yeah. how I get there, that's you, dependent upon the roads and the traffic. You want to know what else is a very large component? That will, I believe, I believe there's a likelihood that assuming there is extraterrestrial intelligence, they will be similar to us, not identical, but they will also be a very warlike species. Hmm. The reason for it is war is natural competition between the intelligent. A war between humans and deer ends very predictably. Hunters go out in hunting season and sweep the fields and wipe out what they call pests. A lot of deer no longer exist. However, Humans up against humans means that when one human develops gunpowder, the other human has to quickly adapt. And because they're intelligent, the conflict goes from being between species to between different tribes within the same species. That conflict results in a rapid development of technology. Because if you don't compete successfully with the new arms and the new weapons, you die and you get wiped out. So you take a look at Europe, for instance, and the proximity of all these warring countries and the rapid development of their technology. That war drove a lot of technological advancement, resulting in a lot of things people probably take for granted. Space program was uh, had, had a lot to do with the Cold War. And we developed a lot of new technologies. Plastics, for instance, were, were heavily influenced, I think, with, with the space race, trying to find lighter and stronger materials. And now we all bene- we reap the benefits of that. Any other species, not, I, should, I should slow down a little bit. Many other species on in 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 a different planet if they're living freely and peacefully say avatar you know the movie avatar Mm -hmm. that actually was was particularly intelligent they weren't very advanced they had bows and arrows and i know it's probably just a movie cliche that they're trying to make them look like native americans or indigenous population you know as as primitive but the reality is based on their world where they could all communicate inter with each with each with different species that would present less of an opportunity for for conflict because they weren't a particularly warlike species and were very, you know, pro nature, they didn't develop a lot of these technologies. So uh, I'm not an expert on this stuff. I'm not an anthropologist or anything, but I was reading about why it is that the various tribes of Native Americans in North America weren't as advanced as, say, Europeans in terms of gunpowder and ships. And it's because the country, the North America was so massive that when a conflict would arise, certain tribes could just leave. Yep. And so there was an opportunity to escape as opposed to fight. And when given the opportunity, most animals choose, uh, most living beings choose no conflict. So even a bear, a grizzly bear, you know, they don't want to fight you. If you're threatening their children, they might. If they're starving, they might. But in Europe, where it was settled for a long time and you had basically people pushed to the edges, they were, it was, I'm going to war with you and taking what you got or else. And then they just became very competitive. Whereas the Native Americans were like, yes, there was a lot of war. Absolutely. But a lot of tribes could just be like, we better get out of here. It's better to run than fight. Then maybe it's possible we're only warlike because we're all stuck on this planet with nowhere to run. And if we were able to spread out infin- infinitely, that we would let go of that. Like Star Trek. Hmm. They, 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 the Federation becomes much less warlike. And most of the, the you know, in, in the show, the Enterprise is a science vessel. It does have military capabilities because you got to defend yourself from threats and there is war. But yeah, I guess the issue is, 
when you look at, say, the movie Avatar and these imaginations of what a species would be like if they didn't have conflict, why would we have any reason to develop the technology if we're comfortable and peaceful? Right. You need to create the conflict within yourself. Why I like psychedelics. If you've ever taken psychedelics, you know you have to face yourself. Uh, the natural conflict of nature. The, the what have I done wrong? Maybe that's that's will keep us building and creating if we force ourselves to work the muscle of the mind. And psychedelics, uh, you know, it is a technology. You know, it's just the way we use it, it is a, a technology. Shamanism is a technology. And like, there's a very accurate point to this. When you take psychedelics, what I believe, the main thing that you're doing is you're amplifying the here and the now, the set and setting that you're around. Your mindset is being amplified. All, all of your emotions, your subconscious is being amplified. It's shown that those you know, the reptilian brain, the mammalian brain, the neocortex, the, all the filters between them, they go. So your subconscious is emerging. And then so shamanic tribes, what they would do is they would have some kind of a rattle and they would get like a rhythm going. And, and then they would sing, they would use the voice. And there's something about the melody and the rhythm and the use of song, which they say they got from the plants. That's a technology that destabilizes what's called the default mode network. And that's where they say the ego lies. Let's, let's talk about this extended state DMT stuff. So we had Alex Jones and Michael Malice on this show and a lot of talk about DMT. A lot and of talk gorillas. About, and gorillas, that's right. And Ishmael, which, uh, which oh, Ian has right there. Thank you very much. For, yeah, somebody sent us that. For those that aren't Josh for sending me a copy of Ishmael. Ishmael. Cool. For those that aren't familiar, the meme I am a gorilla, which we sell the shirt. Go to timcast.com, click shop, and you can get your <laughs> I am a gorilla t-shirt. It's based off of Alex Jones saying this book, Ishmael, is a psychic gorilla telling people that they're like, you know, destroying the planet. And so Alex kept saying, you know, I'm a gorilla, and then the gorilla emoji happened, and then we made the shirt as a joke, but we have the book. So uh anyway, in this conversation we were having, there was talk of the elves breaking through the veil. You take DMT, DMT and you take enough, you blast off. Mm -hmm. And the interesting thing about this conversation, the thing that, that, that really, you know, excites me is this idea. There's been studies where people had shared experiences. They take, they all take DMT. And you'd think if the drug was an internal chemical effect on your brain, well, then everyone's brain's going to be different. But people reported seeing basically the same things. Now, these trips are limited. But you were, you were telling me, Ben, about extended state DMT. What, mm -hmm. What's going on with this? So <clears throat> if any of uh, your listeners know Dr. Rick Strasman, he wrote DMT, the spirit molecule. What he did was there was a long prohibition on psychedelics, and then he was the first in the U.S. to break through that prohibition. And he basically just said, I want to inject people with high amounts of DMT and see what happens. It was very, very simple. And they were like, all right, approved. Broke through <laughs> that. So they injected them in a clinical setting with high amounts of DMT, and these people would uh, have the very same acceleration. There's this crescendo, and then you blast through some kind of a, what can only be described as like an other dimensional or at least a psychological barrier, and you blast through into another world. The veil. <clears throat> the veil. And so the interesting thing was, uh, in a lot of people who speak about this, there's hundreds of thousands of trip reports or at least many, many thousands, I should say, of trip reports of people saying, when you get to this world, it is not, it's, it's not just a distortion of this world. It's not just like you're seeing pink elephants in the road, but the road is, is this world. You seem to be in a completely different place, but it's structured. It's not just very weird and amorphous. It's very structured. And the beings that you meet there, the people come back and say, like, listen, 
I've done ayahuasca, I've done, you know, peyote, I've done mushrooms, you meet different things. And I can't tell if it's just part of my own psyche. But in the DMT space, this was not me. This was absolutely not me. They're very, very intelligent. A lot of the times they're insectoid. Um, sometimes they call them machine elves or clockwork elves. They have mechanical aspects to them, um, you know, short, very small, sometimes very weird. Um, Joe Rogan talks about it a lot, but they, they fall into certain categories. So there is some kind of like repetition or like uh, an archetype to what people experience in this realm. Michael Malice said they're like slinkies. Like they're made of like a wireframe spiraling kind of structure of some sort. I've heard of that. I've heard they're like elves made of like, you know, tin cans and sometimes like trash, sometimes crystals. Um, but the, there's really only a few categories. It's not like, you know, oh, well, I, I saw, you know, like this actor or, you know, whatever, like a 3,000 uh, foot Bigfoot. They usually fall within the same categories. And the interesting thing about this is that the extended state DMT, so... Um, I just did a film called DMT Quest, and I'll talk about that in a little bit. But DMT Quest is all about endogenous DMT, which means we produce DMT inside of our own brain, and we haven't known why. It's very interesting. Like, it's there um, all the time. It's being produced throughout the brain in far higher amounts than we originally thought. There was a bunch of people that said, yeah, but it's not enough to make enough sense of it. But we show in DMT Quest um, with John Chavez, the, the founder of it, that it's being produced about how much serotonin and dopamine we have in the brain. That's how much DMT we're, we're making. You know, it's comparable levels. So the interesting thing is, is like we, we know it's already in there. Maybe it's a part of how we see reality, how we experience reality. Rick Strassman said, everybody who comes back from a mega dose of DMT, they say, whatever that was, that was more real than this real. That felt more real than this. And that's that's something that happened over and over again. And these volunteers, they weren't talking to one another. So so the people who took the DMT mm -hmm. said the trip, the place they went to felt more like reality. Mm -hmm. It felt more familiar. It felt more real. And, and it's just more real than real. That felt more real than this real. And that was a lot of people saying that. So this, you know, now compounded on, you know, this was in the 90s. Dr. Rick Strassman was doing this. So now the there's this awesome guy, Anton Bilton. He, um, he's the one who funded DMT Quest, and he also is the one who funded, um, Imperial College London to do extended state DMT. Basically, that's taking, I think it's called the Henry Boyle machine. It's like an anesthesiology machine where it's a continuous infusion <clears throat> into your bloodstream now of DMT. And it has already started. So I don't know, like, the, yes, they're gathering data, but it's probably not going to be out for a couple of years. It takes a while for it to come out. But just imagine. So the reason why they're doing this is because DMT is very fast acting. They call it the, the lunchman's psychedelic because <laughs> you can go to lunch, do DMT. And when you're back, there's no real afterglow. It's not like, oh, man, I need to take a day off. You're just back. You're 100% back, but with like a what the – like that's how you're feeling afterwards. Well, so when these people were doing these very deep trips mm -hmm. blasting off, could they interact with the real world? Could they like sit up and be like, hey, yo, I'm not feeling too well. Can you get me out of this chair? Or were they just like zonked out? That's a, that's a good question. Could they? Maybe. Um, so theoretically, I've done it. And theoretically, I've gotten up in the middle of it. So can you? Yes. Do you want to? No. It's more interesting in there. It's, it's not interesting to be in this world 
while you're having that experience. You want to just kind of stay super chill, low light. It can get very aggravating, a lot of light, a lot of noise. So you're set and setting. It has to hold the space for you to be wherever you are. So like sensory deprivation. Some people have done that. That you sounds know, trippy. Some, Super like, trippy. Aubrey, Literally. You know, Aubrey Marcus just did, I think, I forget how many, six days in complete darkness, and you start having almost DMT-like visuals in that kind of respect. Yeah. So you could probably compound it like that. But imagine this. Imperial College London. They're doing extended state DMT. Why? Because 15 minutes in that space is not enough, and we need to talk to whatever these beings are. <laughs> oh, dude. So this is a major university that's like, well, there's so many, there's so much anecdotal evidence. We need to figure out what's going on in that space. Cause what if these actually are interdimensional beings that are here? We just never see it because the veil is here. We see a all, small sliver of, of the light all, spectrum. All of a sudden you start to, all of a sudden you start to understand what Alex Jones was trying to say on Joe Rogan when he was yelling about the interdimensional beings and all this <laughs> stuff going on. And you're like, what are you talking about? That's it's like, crazy. you slow down and you explain. People do DMT. They experience something that is rel- is fairly shared among people, and that that is what really makes me say like I want to know what this is. Because when I when I hear people talk about ghosts, mm. I, I remember there's like a coffee shop by me when I was a little kid, and they were like, "Oh, it's haunted." Someone once got pushed down the stairs, and I'm like, "Dude, I'm more likely to believe someone pushed them down the stairs, and it wasn't a ghost who pushed them down the stairs. It was someone who didn't like them." Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But when you tell me that a university put a bunch of people in a chair. You know, shot them full of DMT, and they all had a very, very similar experience. I have two thoughts. One, I think it's it's reasonable that maybe it's just because we're all human that our brains react the same way, creating a similar experience. Or perhaps there's something more to it. Maybe we're shattering through this veil and we're seeing something beyond reality that truly does exist. You know, before people realized there was a charged electromagnetic spectrum, they did not know it existed or could even fathom what it was. Mm. And then we were like, hey, yo, guess what? Radio waves. Now we can communicate by just like a signal being sent out with electromagnetic pulses. You know what What I really love about this is that you, you guys are saying they keep experiencing the same type of things. Either it's mechanical, mm. um, insectoid. You said beings of light mm-hmm. sometimes or small creatures like el- elvish things. So there, it is possible there are species throughout the universe that have evolved and they were one of them was an insectoid species. One of them was a small hominid or a small – one of them was a, me- a, a mechanical society that is like an advanced AI and one is just pure light that is conscious, that is – that's possible. What or- if this has happened over and over and over again and when we're talking about inevitability – like, what if it's inevitable that we explore, and maybe it's not always called psychedelics, but it's inevitable that we explore beyond the veil of our own limitation. And that's what evolution is, is we realize there is actually something universal that we're all connected to. Carl Jung called it the collective unconscious. Some call it the, you know, like the Akash. I don't know how much I, like, I under, even understand about those terms, but what if it is inevitable that Breaking out of what's called the default mode network, all psychedelics do that. And the default mode network is it's consuming like 60, 50 to 60 percent of all of our biological energy, at least in our brain, when we're just ruminating and daydreaming. It's it's some say it's not efficient. Maybe it does serve a purpose. But psychedelics break you out of that. And this is how people are saying psychedelics are are helping people 
with intractable depression, anxiety, um, things like eating disorders, obsessive compulsive disorder, um, post-traumatic stress, um, TBI. There's a, a, like unlimited sciences is a group out of Boulder who's, you know, who basically brought up to the UFC, you know, because there's so many, so much traumatic brain injury that psilocybin mushrooms, potentially working with Johns Hopkins University is saying like, we need to actually dose some of these fighters with psilocybin because it's helping neurogenesis. They're regrowing brain patterns back. Low doses of DMT actually help for stroke. So imagine wow. DMT might be actually really, really important in the brain. We just don't know why yet. So we're sitting here speculating on it. We're all on DMT, by the way. Everyone in here and everyone listening, we're on DMT. It's just sub-psychedelic. You mean like naturally occurring? Naturally in our occurring, endogenous We don't DMT. want to give the kids the impression that we all smoke. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, you're, you're definitely right <laughs> about that. a different that. show. If that yeah, very <laughs> different, very different. All plants, so all check mammals. Us out, check us out. What if we were, we were talking before about you know MMORPG reality? Are, you know, is this existence full of billions of humans who are all sentient conscious entities? Are only some people sentient conscious entities? Or is it only you listening to this show? What if this experience people are having where they say it's more real than reality? What if that's just like when you're not playing the game? So uh, have you guys seen, you've seen the Rick and Morty episode where they go to uh, Blitz and Chits, I think it's called. Mm -hmm. And he plays the game called Roy. And he basically puts on this headset. And then lives a full life as a guy named Roy. And then he loses when he's like in his old age, gets crushed by a carpet. And then all of a sudden he like comes back to the, the game the arcade. And he's like, wait, who, who am I? I'm, I'm Morty. Like, what if that's what it is? What if the reality is you're getting a, you're not really blasting off like you are, but you're not really breaking through. It's just like you're temporarily looking back at the real world where you're playing this video game that is humans on earth. Mm. And it's a temporary glimpse because DMT doesn't actually take you out of the game. You're still alive. You know, what's really interesting is because like we can access it and we can turn it up. I believe we can. It's not proven yet, but like Wim Hof, the Dutchman, he holds 26 Guinness World Records. He has a breathing technique that allows him to swim under polar ice caps. He's ran a marathon in uh, the Arctic Circle as well as in the Sahara Desert without drinking any water. He's climbed to the top of Mount Everest in sandals and shorts wow. because of this breathing technique. And so that's what made John Chavez and I, when we were making DMT quests, we took a Wim Hof breathing instructor and we sat him in a chair and we had him hooked up to EEG machines and we just had him do the breath and we looked at the EEG profile and it looks to, uh, to our understanding and to what we've compared it to identical to the DMT EEG Whoa, profile. That's crazy. So like, so this is now we're talking about human potential. How do you access the DMT and why? So Wim Hof is saying, we are helping people with their intractable depression, anxiety, PTSD, you know, OCD, you know, all that kind of stuff. The same thing that psychedelics were doing. So you, you also, who is it? Salvador Dali. Somebody said, do you take drugs? And he said, I am drugs. <laughs> you just have to know how to access it. Like yeah. we, we produce it. So now it's like, is there drugs is such a harsh word, but is there a real purpose? to alter your consciousness. If we get into such like biases and like rigid thinking, is it healthy to break ourselves out in a healthy way, not too often, because that, that could lead to its own addiction mm -hmm. or messiah complex, but you know, is it healthy to break ourselves out of rigid, rigid thinking and then come back, integrate back into normal life? What if there was a way to actually 
focus your mind into mass producing DMT to access blasting off or breaking through the veil completely on your own just through training and exercise and practice visualizations and you, you guys have seen dr strange the movie mm-hmm. negative when uh so doctor so he's like you know his hands are all messed up and he's trying to find a cure and he goes to uh Camertage and he meets the ancient one and she grabs his head and then all of a sudden he blasts off and he's like flying through space what if there was a way to train yourself because your body does produce dmt and you mentioned this guy who does his breathing technique. Mm-hmm. What if he's like, it's like rudimentary access to this ability to like control yourself. And what if humans actually could reach that point through training and meditation to actually be able to experience DMT trips just by thought? I, I really think that governments are already doing that, you know, and like, so I've seen in Russia, I've seen in China, I've also seen in, um, in the United States, documentation from the Department of the Army in the 19, I think it was 1983, where they were looking at um, what's called, from the Monroe Institute, and I'm, the Gateway Experience. It was called the Gateway Experience. I have this documentation where they're like, we really need to understand hypnosis and the power of focusing the body and the mind at the same time and how you can remote view telepathy, telekinesis. The man who stare at goats. Right. So th- that's, that's definitely an aspect of it. But beyond that, that like we know that remote viewers help in, um, criminal cases. Is that like, true? W- that yeah. sounds crazy. No, no. I mean, look at, look it up. I mean, it's, it's not something that I personally have the documentation on, but the, so remote viewers helping solve crimes. They have been brought in. They have been brought to help. And, and, you know, you, you can't prove, but it seems like they have actually helped that there's actually been, um, some cases that were solved and there's this guy, um, something Campbell, I, w- I want to say Tom Campbell, my big toe, he wrote, and he teaches people how to do remote viewing. You know, you well, see, I got an article about in 1979, half a dozen psychics working inside Fort Meade were on more than 200 occasions trying to peer through the ether to see where the hostages in the Iranian crisis were being held. Was it successful? Uh, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I would have to read the whole thing. I've even heard of like local crimes, like kidnappings and stuff like that, you know, where a remote viewer was brought in. Um, you know, I'll have to, I'll have to check that out more, but I do know that governments have been studying this. They, they at least want to know, you know, and, and I also, I, I absolutely believe that the reason why we're having major universities looking at psychedelics and things like that is because we, the Wim Hof, you know, the, the super soldiers in China and stuff like that, a lot of it does have to do with the mind. And Wim Hof, what did he repurpose? You know, now I have to give all the credit to Wim Hof because no one was talking about Tumo or different like yoga breaths and stuff like that. But there was a whole, like yoga is one of the longest lasting disciplines, movement disciplines, and they focus their body and their mind me, with breath. If I were to, t- if I told you that through legitimate Real yoga, not like, you know, suburban housewife yoga. Mm. A man could live for 200 years. Would you believe it? I would. And I've heard enough stories of it. I was going to bring this up. I was waiting. I was like, I'll I'll bring it up in a second. Because I knew a guy. He was a Hare Krishna. And he was telling me stories about what yoga really is. He was like kind of perturbed. He was like, I'm really angry that all of these like suburban housewives are treating yoga like it's just stupid exercise, man. It's like spiritual. It's what you eat. It's what you live. It's what you experience. And he goes, I'm telling you, man, in India. There are yogis who are 200 years mm-hmm. old. And I said, get out of here, dude. That's no, there's no way. Come on, man. And he was like, I'm telling you, man, they go up to the mountains and they meditate and they do yoga and they live for hundreds of years. And I don't, be- I don't believe it. 
I didn't believe it. I, I don't want to say I do believe it now, but when I, as this was a long time ago, I was like 18. I started reading about, um, caloric deprivation. Are mm-hmm. you familiar? Yep. So we've extended, we've like doubled the lifespan of what mice by just giving them the bare minimum of food they would need. Mm-hmm. And I read this really great quote. They were like, it was like a scientist who said, it's remarkable. We've doubled the, doubled the lifespan of the average, uh, of the average mouse, though I wouldn't call it living. Because basically the mouse was being just from the brink of starvation. But because of that, the mouse lived for a long time. They did it with worms and other, and other animals. So when I saw that, I started thinking like, what if this, this guy was telling the truth that there's like some yogis and because all they do all day is just sit and they barely eat, they eat just enough and they do nothing but meditate as he described. Well, that just sounds like caloric deprivation mm-hmm. and perhaps they could le- live to be much, much longer. Because they're literally not doing anything other than living within their own mind. Yeah. Have you heard that mice with a much faster metabolism and higher um, heart rate have roughly the same exact amount of breaths and heartbeats as an elephant does? 1.5 million. Really? 1.5 million. So maybe... Isn't that true? Is it the same for humans too? I I would imagine. I would imagine. And there's this book by Greg Braden. I'm forgetting. I have it in my phone. But basically, he says, he was talking about longevity. And he was saying there's this one guy in China. And it's on the books. The the Chinese military celebrated his 100th birthday, 150th birthday, and 200th birthday. And when he was, and he had like 200-something children, 14 wives. And so it's documented and what he said, and this was in the Greg Braden book, I, I wish I could remember the dude's name, but when they were asking him, like, what is your secret? He said, I only eat medicinal plants from my own property, and I do, and he was a Tai Chi master. He does Tai Chi. So these are movement practices of slowing the breath down, but becoming more efficient. Because when you hear about breath practice, you're like, oh, you need to breathe a lot. Actually, when you when you learn how to breathe correctly, you breathe less, and you're more, your body is more efficient. And yeah. so there's got to be something to that. But then there's also amazing technology that's doing things with longevity. And I believe there's something with technology and psychedelics, I believe, are just helping people understand our own potential. And there's this technology. I think I was telling you about it earlier. Ebner and Schorsch. Um, so that's E-B-N-E-R. And these are German scientists. They put basically fern seeds, um, corn seeds, and then rainbow trout eggs under an electrostatic field. So this is the same kind of effect that right before a thunderstorm you would get, but 10,000 volts. And then they planted the seeds and hatched those eggs. The wood fern had a phenotype, meaning the way its genes expressed itself, expressed itself like a a fern that has been extinct for 150 million years. And I'm trying to think of the name of the article, but it was something about like high voltage something causes for gene regression back into an extinct phenotype. The same thing with the corn, where corn now, because of selective breeding, only one ear comes off of any node. Mm. They were starting to get five uh, ears off of every node, which is how corn used to be back before the selective breeding. The rainbow trout was the most interesting one. It started, um, it was more stocky. It had a broader jaw, better color. It didn't need antibiotics, and it resembled a rainbow trout that's been extinct for 150 years. So maybe what was really happening all that t- long time ago was uh, electrostatic storms or something. Maybe, maybe I mean, like, there's something about the regression of genes, though, back into extinct species, and like, I don't exactly know well, to, how that would relate. 
So for, for that, my understanding is that, uh, chickens, for instance, there was, I watched where they said like they could actually grow teeth in chickens by injecting an enzyme into like when, when it's like in the egg and an embryo or whatever. And it's because at some point in the evolutionary process that the chicken stopped producing this enzyme. And then, you know, what, what came first chicken or the egg? But the new evolution was that the enzyme was less. So mm-hmm. the teeth didn't happen. And so by reintroducing it, the the code for that still exists. Still in the, it's it's just not express being expressed. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's interesting. It's crazy stuff. Totally, totally. And there's there's something about that. And I like, do you do you think how much hybrid creatures do you think militaries and in, in, with black budgets are? are oh, I bet on? they've gone nuts. Right, the there's, chimeras. <clears throat> yeah. So there was this um, one. So there's a video, and I'll have to I'll send you guys the link of it. It's this woman named Ulrika Granocher. She's German. Um, she was really into the work, the Russian scientist of Peter Gaiaev. Um, she did this for the Solari report, uh, report.com. And it was this video where she showed there was this, um, I think it was a Japanese guy and he used this dodecahedron shape cauldron. And so he took the, the genetic vibratory imprint of ducks and he, he irradiated a chicken egg with it. And that chicken egg, once hatched, started having features of the duck. And he reversed it and did the same thing Creepy. the other way around. So, like, I mean, I don't know where that's gone, but you know they didn't just, you know governments around the world didn't just go, oh, that's interesting, let's <clears throat> just forget it. You were talking about ghost, what was it, ghost DNA? Uh, how did you... Well, is the phantom DNA experiment. That was Peter Gaiaev, where he put DNA into a vacuum tube. They irradiated it with photons, uh, with a laser. Those photons then aligned themselves to the double helix structure. Then they removed the DNA. They removed the glass beaker, everything from there. And they looked at that same spot and the photons were stuck in place for a month. So the photons, these tiny particles of light were still stuck and they call that the phantom DNA experiment. I, uh, Iona and Alan Miller said this can only be explained by wormholes. What? So the DNA apparently has microscopic wormholes that brings in its vibratory informational imprint from either outside of space time or elsewhere in the galaxy. Beyond the veil. Beyond the veil. Well, I would love to know what's beyond the veil, but how about we uh, take some super chats and we'll ask the people what they think lies beyond the veil. Don't forget to (laughs) smash that like button, subscribe at the notification bell, and go to TimCast.com, become a member, because we always have those amazing, exclusive members-only segments that will be up, sometimes even full episodes. But uh, again, smash the like button. Let's read what y'all guys have to say. Euler's Workshop says, how have you not talked about Bill Gates being the largest owner of farmland in the U.S. yet? Also, I make hyper-real miniatures. Hit me up. Yay. We have. Yeah. We Luke have. won't shut up about yeah, it. Seriously. <laughs> Luke's like, you guys, Bill Gates bought all the farms. We're like, we know Luke. Yes, Luke. Now he's on vacation, I guess. So if that. you guys are mad that Luke's not here, just go tweet at Florida. him. Yeah. yeah, go to Florida. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> tweet at him and say, what are you doing? Let's see. Viva La, La, La Tortu says, Tim, did you see Glenn Beck's video yesterday about banks starting to use ESGs? Basically, social credit systems to determine your credit worthiness. Ooh, creepy. Your credit worthiness? Huh. Yeah. Hmm. This, this is really, really great. When you mentioned William Casey, mm-hmm. I knew that someone had a super chat already. Right when we started the show, Enlightened Worm said, William Casey, CIA director, 1981-1987, quote, We'll know our disinformation program is complete when everything the American public believes is false. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then he mentions Brennan, but I'm not going to read what he said about him. But yeah. Not complimentary. Make 1984 fiction again, says, says give Ian the keys for this one. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, absolutely. 
Code Red says, studio upgrade recommendation, create a lab space for Ian in his area so he can do experiments during the show live and get him a lab coat. Spin the gorilla. <laughs> he needs a lab coat for sure. Yeah. yeah. We can't spin the gorilla. Softshell Crab says, what do you think, what do you all think is causing the increase in gas prices? That one's easy. It's Keystone Pipeline getting shut down. Because Keystone got shut down, there are speculators who believe the cost of oil is going to rise. So that creates demand. Which causes the cost of oil to yeah, rise. Yeah. And then everyone else has to pay the price for it. Self-fulfilling prophecy. T-Brat says, this has been bothering bothering for a while. After the months of riding and the hundreds of police cruisers that were destroyed, how many of those squad cars had a service rifle long gun still in the car? And how many didn't get destroyed but were taken? It's hmm. a good question, man. Yes, we'll find yeah. out. No idea. Enlightened Worm says, I loved the fourth turning. Scary, but enlightening. You know that there was a, there's another researcher, Vice interviewed him in 2010. I think they interviewed him in 2010. And he said, by 2020, there will be major conflict. It will be a crisis. There will be violence in the streets. And he went into detail. And then Vice wrote a follow-up. They were like, 10 years ago, we talked to this guy and he was right. Mm. That's crazy stuff, man. A lot of people have predicted this. All right. The God Pill says AMC and, and GME will become the new and only valuable currency on the market after this crash. Shame on Tim Pool and his gang for not having a larger voice in the last 30 days of war. Doesn't matter. We made it to the finish line. God is good. It's never too late to join. I thought about how funny it would be if like currency after the crisis is GameStop stock because people are buying it like crazy as a meme. And then you have to wonder like if the stocks are, uh, uh, you know, essentially unique per item mm -hmm. you know e each stock is unique and won't be recreated unless there's like the corporate board or whatever if people are holding the physical stock certificate the company's wiped out and the, everything's over and it's like people are trading these stock certificates it would function no it's different than money. a fiat right yeah. mm -hmm. so theoretically we could have a GameStop stock backed economy true <laughs> i can see it <laughs> wouldn't they stand to lose like 70 billion was it something mm. like that the 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 hedge funders yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they did lose seventy billion or something oh, like that. Oh, they did. Maybe, maybe not that much. I don't know. Okay, I, it's been a while. Yeah. Eric Miller says history does rhyme. Check out the similarities between Trump and Teddy Roosevelt, and the similarities between Woodrow Wilson and Biden. I'll tell you, man. Um, some I I have a fear that uh, Biden is basically like our Buchanan. He's going to be a very weak and pathetic president. I think you brought this up before, Ian. Trump was this very bombastic and loud president. We're now in the Biden era where he's not doing a press conference. He's not doing a joint, uh, an address to the joint sessions, uh, a joint session of Congress. Uh, gas prices are going up. He's saying, we're not going to get you the checks that, that we promised you. It's not going to be two grand. It's going to be 1400. Oh, now it's going to be means tested. Biden is actually going to give money to less people than Donald Trump did. And hmm. Democrats are like, what is this? So what happens when four years of Biden completely demoralizes the populist left? Trump comes back swinging hard and then wins. And then you get the crisis period where the establishment media is screaming, the end is nigh, the terrorist is a, is a president or whatever. And then you just get that period between 2024 and 2028. To 2028. That's exactly it, dude. That's crazy. <laughs> the last president. Yeah. That's and then we, come, we become a wokeocracy. A wokeocracy. A wokeocracy. You know, I almost I'll be all right because, you know, mm -hmm. you know, I'm not white. And, and Luke will be all right because he's Slavic, so right, he's not yeah, white he's not either. White but either. you guys, you're, you're, all, you're all screwed. That's no, I'm, yeah. I'm white. I'm 100% Japanese. I don't know if you guys noticed. No, I'm pink. I, I couldn't tell. That. Yeah. <laughs> it could have told um, me. The, the Woodrow Wilson thing concerns me because he was like, I guess 
pretty much agreed upon he was the worst president of all time. Ben Shapiro <laughs> breaks down what he thinks about the presidents, and he put Woodrow at the very bottom. He's the guy that got us tangled up with the Federal Reserve and basically yeah. sold us out, most fascist U.S. president. I if thought Biden's like that. Was I'm terrified. Worst. Who? Al Gore. Oh, yeah, Al Gore was, he, <laughs> oh, yeah. he was so bad he couldn't even get elected. Right. Boom. Right. All right, Sonny James says, did you ever research the Cosmic Treaty of Versailles? Mars had no craters to explain the xenon levels on Mars. Thermonuclear war is the only thing that can explain that. Please watch the secret space program channel. Mind blowing. So Laurie report good too. Yeah. That stuff's always fun. I don't know a lot about it though, but Catherine Austin Fitz is the one with the Solari report and she gets into the, the, the black budgets. She was in the Bush administration. She was, I think, you know, something doing HUD or something like that. So she knows what's up. You know, I'll tell you what I think happened to Mars really quick. Uh, you know, the, the Marianas Trench, that giant scar across the surface of Mars, it looks like an external Marianas Trench? No, that's in the Earth. That's yeah, in that's the Earth. Earth. What's the, the giant 1,800-mile yeah, trench? On, it looks like a scar across oh. the planet. I think another planetoid body hit Mars, collided and scraped across it, ripped it open. It fired magma up into the atmosphere, which then all the rust and the iron, you know, the iron peppered down back to the surface and then Made rusted red. and now we've got this layer of iron dust all over the surface like the guts of the planet and underneath that is ocean beautiful we all, frozen ocean. we all know that an invasive parasitic species invaded mars and killed off the martians about a thousand years ago and there were several centuries of revolt and then it was only after you know astronauts from earth went to mars and unleashed the parasitic race that they came to earth and then superman batman had had to form the justice league and rescue the martian manhunter you're to for, stop you're parasites. forgetting about the creatures inside the sun that shot a laser beam inside of mars <laughs> first I'm actually, melt the ice. I'm actually referencing the justice league but uh, we should you know, make a movie justice league this. joke this is yeah, a we should yeah all right yeah you're the you're the producer so this is interesting yeah. the grizzly says gettysburg had gatling guns they were in use throughout the first american civil war in the 1860s hmm. oh well there you go okay nick sweeney says the civil war super weapon was rifling it made guns accurate and was why gettysburg was was tragic hmm the God Pill says, GME Diamond Hands AMC Rocket Hedgies Give Me More Tendies. I certainly hope so. Best wishes to all of you with Diamond Hands. Kira13 says, Tim and Co. been subscribed to your page ever since it came up. Where's my Alex Jones face t-shirt? Tim and Ian having full-on fights is amazing. Great you're respecting each other's POV. Ian's deaf Akami. <laughs> Hey, I just want to give a shout out. I was going to do this anyway. I'm not communist, but you can get a copy of Our Pillow if you'd like. Yes. Tim, go to TimCast.com, click shop, and you can buy your very own Our Pillow. Dun, dun, you see, we crossed out the my in it. And not there's a, a revolution, uh, communist revolution sure fist holding the pillow. Beautiful. I hope you like it. Beautiful. It's Our it's Pillow. It's nice. It's a good pillow. It's, nice it's not a good, it's not it's a good not pillow, good but it's Our Pillow. That's right. <laughs> All right, check it out. Blue Collar says Colt Navy revolver carried by Buffalo Bill to his death was cap and ball pistol. Also, I think the only actual recorded high noon shootout in Wild West shot opponent 50 yards in the heart. Amazing. Wow. Yeah, they used dueling pistols. They were like single load, you know, whatever. It's crazy. Gun history is really amazing. What the craziest thing about guns is how long they had them. And it took hundreds of years to refine them to the point where they like developed a cartridge. It's like they were using the first gun, I think, was like 1340 or something. Long time ago. And then it was just hundreds of years of like stuffing powder into a, a metal tube and then was it, you know, flintlock steel and stuff. manufacturing that allowed them to like maintain the heat? Industrial could... Revolution. Yeah. So basically, that's my understanding. All of a sudden, they could easily refine, mass produce, interchangeable parts, all that stuff. And then uh, all of a sudden, they were like, look at all this crazy stuff we invented. No, it was the fourth, the fourth Industrial Revolution, which is all about automating 
Yep, machines automating Actually, themselves. I've mentioned this. Oh, uh, oh, uh, sorry. Someone pointed out the ironclad. Uh, I completely forgot about oh, that. the ironclad. My mm. fa- one of my favorite quotes. I learned this from from civilization. Is uh, I think it, I think it was Napoleon. He said, "You mean to sail against the wind by lighting a bonfire under the deck? I have no time for such nonsense." That was Civ Four, right? That was yeah. It was, was that Civ Four? It was. It was in all of Leonard the Nimoy. When- yeah, yeah, yeah. I have no time for such nonsense. Napoleon Lighting also a bonfire said, under the deck. <laughs> Napoleon also said China is a sleeping giant and the world will quake when she awakes. Jeez. Wow. Crazy. Just Revenant says directed energy satellite weapons. Lasers they can shoot from space to change weather patterns or detonate fires. Look it up. Oh, I believe it, man. Because we've, we've actually seen the IR lasers they already have been working on for the past couple decades. It's really amazing footage you can watch where they have this gigantic laser, a massive lens, and it just points at a drone, and then boom, it bursts into flames and then crashes. If they're publicly announcing they have this, yeah. they must have had it for a very long time. Well, there was a Fox News article, I think it was April of 2020, when the Pentagon was asking for something like $120 million to start putting particle beam weaponry on satellites in outer space. So, I mean... Like, that was just $120 million that they asked for? Uh, Strangely enough, yeah. yeah, but but like, I mean, I believe they already have it on there or imagine. had it on there, but you know, particle beam weaponry on satellites, and that was um violating the outer space treaty, something wow. like that. But there's like loopholes with that Low same orbit thing ion cannons, DARPA wanting to put bases on the moon and and be able to use the moon for resources that's yeah. also violating the outer space treaty. But there's been people forever saying, like, there's definite ways to find loopholes around this, yeah. So. Publius the Good says, good job covering the fourth turning. Doesn't get covered enough. You should have Harrison Smith as a right-leaning libertarian and Jack- Jackson Hinckley as a very left anti-corruption activist on it. Would be a very interesting show. Well, we'll look into it. Black Lion Grunt says, Tim, check out the map of the U.S. in Cyberpunk 2077. Maybe a glimpse of the future. Interesting. Will do. Nick Sweeney says, all of this sounds like the Hebrew people's exile in the desert after their enslavement in Egypt. They were, uh, they were there for 40 years, which was the average lifespan. Hmm. Interesting. All right. Brian Ventura says, Ben, have you kept up with the with what Erdogan has been doing in Turkey and how he is positioning himself to become the revived Ottoman Caliphate in 2023? No, I haven't. That sounds amazing. I, I don't know I mean, if that was something specific to your career as to why they asked you that. Is that? Mm-mm. Oh, uh, okay. Well, there you go. The revived Caliphate. Interesting. Man, we didn't even talk about the the massive four thousand year old uh, uh, along the Silk Roads, you know, drug vats of drugs with opium, poppy, you know, or poppy, cannabis, and ephedra that was shipped along the Silk Road. Drugs that go back thousands of years. So, like Turkey was very, very much so implemented in where that was shipped as well. It, it's amazing how the history books have just written drugs out. And they make it sound like we evolved without For real, dude. People were doing drugs like crazy. The anointing oil. There's this guy, Chris Bennett, really good author. He's saying the anointing oil, there was cannabis in it. A lot of the major religions started with cannabis as being like a major part of the even the tree of life, some called it. The cannabis, <laughs> all these visions that they had, the anointing of Christ, how you commune with God in the altar, the smoke that came from the you so know, you're saying the tent that, of like, meeting. The apple of the tree was actually a nug, and it was like, don't smoke that. You you smoked it, <laughs> or you some kind of much. psychedelic. Graham, Hancock and then you know says, too much. <laughs> yeah. Whoa. Oh snap! What's going of on? Good and evil. Yeah. All right, Lisa Civil Disobey says, Tim, I like your podcast, but a lot of your audience sounds like a bunch of angry, bitter old dolts. No better than the purple-haired feminists that are always bashing. 
Maybe their own nag attitudes are why they're alone. I would like to recommend something. First, smash that like button. Second, Flash Gets has this really hilarious bit about a feminazi. And the best thing, the funniest part is when, so it's basically this feminist. She's really annoying and she's like always offended by everything. And then it ends with like her at a protest where she's smashing a cop car. And then all of a sudden, men's rights activists show up and they're like, men's rights activists. And then the men's rights guy goes, we want our foreskins back. And then they start fighting. And I'm just like, that was some of the best writing ever. So good. All right. Beer Star says, at the end of the Civil War, the ironclad ship was invented. The proto battleship, which was the dominant weapon till World War II and the aircraft carrier. That's right. Was that like civilization? East India Corporation? Was that how they started dominating as pirates you know i think that was physics when isaac newton developed physics and the ability for long-range cannonry okay. is when the the english basically dominated and started capitalizing the globe i know that once the silk road was kind of cut off and high high tariffs and stuff like that basically i think it was the english and the dutch started using the the long way around and using ships but they became the first pirates with these heavily <clears throat> armored ships and they would just bang the crap out of uh india then you, know, you might be it could the ironclads might have been used i didn't know i don't know much yeah. about that that's nuts best auntie ever says info from a friend who works for bonville power admin protests are planned for march 6 in portland seattle olympia oregon uh, oregon coast and eugene violence anticipated can't even can't even imagine what the hell they're protesting now i mean they're always protesting so you know oh libra yeah, that was Facebook's currency. Yeah. That's what you guys are saying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Publius the Good says Libra was blocked because it would have given Facebook more power than the CIA or any state bank. Essentially, they would have controlled all of the most important emerging fields of intelligence. It makes sense. I don't want Grand Emperor Zuckerberg. No. You don't? We probably already have him. It's probably he, He's probably already in charge of everything because he controls Facebook. I don't know. He seems like a nice guy. Yeah, what could go wrong? Yeah. No, nothing. Now nothing. that I think about it. Zuckerberg is our friend. He does. Yeah. Julius nice. Caesar was great. He yeah. says He's so. Such a good dude. Yeah. Yeah. He says so. Yeah. I love Mark Zuckerberg. I'm shivering, and not because it's cold <laughs> up here. Uh, I, I, my, my Facebook page has got 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 nuked by Facebook anyway. So dude, I, I I'll put a picture on Instagram and get 1,500 clicks, likes. I'll put it on Facebook. I'll get seven. I don't know what is what is wrong with There's that There's only website. seven people on Either Facebook. Either I'm on a blacklist yeah. or something. <laughs> All right, we got a good one. We got a good one. T Stump says, Tim, you underestimate the internet. It has corrupted every learning algorithm and turned them into swearing racists because people think it's funny. Remember when it was like chatbot became super racist? There was this. There was, yeah. yeah. You remember that? Mm-hmm. There was like an AI where you could talk to it and it would learn from the conversations. And then eventually it just started being saying racial long. slurs and just really offensive wow. because people thought it was funny. And they had to like shut it down because people did that to was it. that the same one that said uh because it, it was ai that said like you know hitler did nothing wrong something like that and they were just like all right scratch that cut cut this thing off yeah, because yeah. It said, it, there were a yeah. couple instances there's another one where they had ai talking to ai and it started communicating in a language they didn't understand so they pulled the plug on the whole operation oh um, it, it, oh, it created right. its own it created language its own right. language yeah. And mm-hmm. it was talking to other AI in its own language. Bill Burr started talking about that. He was just like, unplug that thing, unplug it. He's <laughs> like, yeah, you, that's, that's the first thing you do is unplug it. Yeah. All right, here we go. Dr. Doctor says, Ian, much love, buddy, but you're completely wrong about the concept of Matrix. Yes, they created a perfect Matrix and people rejected it because they wanted conflict. So the AI created a Matrix that had conflict. Mother Ayahuasca has danced for me before. It was beautiful. Oh, this guy's speaking the truth. Interesting. <laughs> Mother Ayahuasca. 
Tillhimmer says an idea from for the hour pillow, an optional linen pillowcase. That's definitely not just another burlap sack with Vladimir Lenin's face paper clipped on it. <laughs> definitely. You could get a pillow. Yeah, we'll, we'll offer up a pillowcase edition and it's just another burlap sack. Just stick the burlap sack in the other burlap sack. There you go. Deluxe. Made yeah. out of human Special hair. Edition. Mm-hmm. The God Pill says, check it out. I'm pretty sure I'm Jesus. No visions, no talks with God. But I'm taking this market crash and coming out on top. I worked hard to know what I know. Crypto going to zero with most other things. God is good. Humans are amazing. Sound of GameStop AMC gang. And then he put a bunch of gorilla emojis. He then goes on to say, life is easy. Smoke weed, buy GME, eat tendies. (laughs) Just as long as whatever you're doing is legal. That's Mm -hmm. right. Anything about tech says, Strauss and Howe argue we need crises to renew our society. COVID being elevated to full crisis status undermines our ability to face and resolve our true crisis. Globalist takeover in China. And we risk a dangerous civic order implanting wokeism. I mm. completely uh, agree about wokeism coming soon. So Robert Miller says, why do people think only humans can reach peaceful cooperation? I'm anthropocentric to think it's anthropocentric to think only we are special to reach that conclusion as if alien races wouldn't reach the same logical conclusions. Interesting. All right, let's see. It's going to jump on us because of what YouTube does with the super chats. Bees have done it. Have done what? Oh, they, they just seem to have this kind of like hive mentality where they, they, they all agree on their task. Ants do the same thing and they'll keep going on and, until the queen dies, almost as if the queen is the wormhole. <clears throat> what happens when the queen dies? They don't know what to do. And then they die? As far as ants, no. They, like, as far as I know, they just, they, they kind of go into a chaos period. Maybe they elect a new one. I don't know. Mm. But it's almost as if, and they've, they've speculated that the queen is the wormhole. The, like the DNA wormhole where all their information is coming from. Because their queen can be captured and taken far away. If it's alive, they'll keep doing their job. Wow. Think wow. about that one. Tobin Benson says, The Reality of ESP by Russell Targ. Great book goes in depth into the CAA program and the MIT research into remote viewing and the keys on how to learn and develop the skill. Mm. The book brings a different view on what consciousness is. A good read. Rob Graff says a thousand people on any psychedelic drug except DMT, they will all have different experiences. A thousand people on DMT and their experiences are eerily similar. That's crazy. dude. Mm -hmm. That's why I'm so fascinated by DMT. And I think most people are because we're wondering now is like, are people actually breaking through some kind of dimensional barrier and seeing some kind of alternate reality or the real world? That's what Mm -hmm. I'm thinking. Like you were saying that it, it, that you take it and it jazzes you up to something but i was wondering if you take it and it actually slows you down so that you can experience reality and this is the this is the fake this is the the mask space and time do not seem like they're the same thing in that realm so potentially the same place that the you know the dna the wormhole draws its information from maybe you're going outside space and time the quantum realm you look into Stuart Hameroff and Sir Roger Penrose saying that psychedelics bind with the tubulin in the microtubules and send your microtubules into quantum coherence, meaning Ooh. it's resonating at Planck scale. So you're probably shamans and people on psychedelics are picking up on patterns from the Planck scale, which does not follow physics. And it doesn't, you know, there's retrograde causality. There's uh, non-locality, which min- literally means not anywhere specific. Yeah, not classical it's physics. All, it's all right. potential, you know, rather than than. Specific. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say something that that will make the the audience mildly perturbed. I had a I, I had a conversation with a source of mine who told me about some coming technology that will melt people's brains when they hear about it. But it's some crazy stuff. It's crazy stuff. I can't say what it is though. Confidential sources. 
Peaked I'm perturbed, man. I know. Too. And now everyone's like, what is it? I must know. It's like, dude, <laughs> it's crazy stuff. All right, let's see. Uh, music CD, uh, music DC guy says about governments experimenting on animals. Look up the monkey men attacks in 2001 in Delhi, India. People were attacked by a monkey the size of a man that they say had metal claws and a metal helmet with lights. Could you, yeah, I, well, believe, I like believe a it. cyborg monkey. <laughs> I mean, how hard it would be to in, inject a monkey with a bunch of crazy hormones and, and chemicals and, and manipulate its DNA to make it really, really big. And surgically mm-hmm. attach. And then, you know, yeah. metal claws hard. to it. And then it breaks out of the facility and like you're planning on unleashing a bunch of gigantic monsters on your enemies. And then it breaks out of your lab. God. I bet they do all sorts of really nasty stuff. Mitch Stew says, Ben Stewart, can we take a 23andMe to see if we are related? I will rewatch this convo with greater intent. I'm busy red pilling a girl that I've been talking to. Ah, very important. Very important work. Let me just say, don't do 23andMe or Ancestry. Ancestry was taken over 75% by Blackstone. The rest is owned by China. Ah. 23andMe, I don't know where that data goes, but you just email me. Ben at BenJosephStewart.com. There you go. Chris Crow says, best show I've watched from you guys this far. Well, if you do think so, share this episode with all of your friends and tell them how so awesome fun. it is. And make sure you go to TimCast.com, become a member, because we're going to do a bonus episode. I think we'll be talking about ghosts in outer space. Yeah. It's, it's a little bit hyperbolic, but <laughs> you'll, you know, you'll see. Andy Mack says, did you guys get the table? Yes, yes we did. Oh, my gosh. So cool. <laughs> that was neat. Yeah. All right, let's see. Let's, uh, Kara May says, I accidentally did DMT in the middle of my first semester of nursing school. Needless to say, I was unveiled to the tyranny running the show and woke and woke me up to the to mathematics. Hmm. Interesting. That's how actually. accidentally? That there's so much mathematics? That's crazy. I have many questions. And how accidentally? Yes, yeah. I'm, I'm perturbed again. <laughs> you trip and fell onto the pipe. Yeah, that's probably what it was. Baka Fett says, Starship Troopers 2021. We were, oh, we were just, just talking about that. Yeah, we were just talking about that. Insectoids. Why are they doing? And Doogie Howser. We have to, you know, mm-hmm. shout out. He hates when you call him that, by the way. Oh, Neil yeah. Patrick NPH. Yeah, you call him NPH. NPH. Yeah. Shout out, Neil. Bloodlust says, I hate to mention another channel on your stream, but check out Garden of Eden by Lucifer Means Light Lightbringer. Garden of Eden is most likely another steel fire from the God story, but instead the stolen fire is viewed as a sin, not as a good thing. Hmm. Interesting. Dan Gingrich says the House just stealth passed H.R. 8 and H.R. 1446, and the mainstream media is completely quiet on it. They're up to something really nasty. This needs looking into. I don't know what those bills are. Oh, man. Do you know what they are? No. Didn't I just, just saw that they were passing all sorts H.R. of H.R. 1, Lydia? Yeah. H.R. Uh, 1 we, is the voting bill. We were bill. talking about oh, okay. H.R. 1. It's about voting rights, and it's not good at all. They're doing too much, in yeah, my opinion. Are. All right. Isaac Hanshaw says, hey, Tim, I just quit my job and started the Liberty Initiative. I would love to talk with you about it. What is the best place to reach you at? Who would have thought we live in a dystopia? Uh, spin the UFO at gmail.com. Yeah, that'll be good. Spin the UFO at gmail.com. Pass it on. Julie Simone says, hi, guys. For some of the coolest recent science on anti-aging, check out David Sinclair. He was on Rogan. Maybe you guys can have him on the, sh- uh, on the new show. Ian will need his lab coat for this for sure. I love David Sinclair. He's out of Harvard, and they've been working with uh, nicotinamide mononucleotide, NMN, um, resveratrol and well derived from berberine metformin a type of diabetes medicine Uh in conjunction with intermittent fasting and they're getting incredible results out of animals Hmm. like leg extension wise very cool well then let's read a couple more we'll read a couple more let's see nathan slatton says mtg for life and i had to read that because no i don't play (laughs) i did get those bob ross lands though 
So Magic the Gathering unveiled Bob Ross land cards, and it is amazing. I, I had to buy them. I think mechanically the game is sound, but they've just, just gone nuts. Print, yeah, they, yeah, it's gone absolutely crazy. Pay to play. So, uh, let's see. Psycho Dwarf says, I'm listening late. Imagine a race that didn't develop mechanical joinery. Everything in their tech is joined with adhesives. <laughs> hmm. That would be really weird. S- super strong adhesives for like building a rocket. No mechanical jointing. Might not work as well. That'd be really, really weird. Be adaptive. Yeah. It's to, a liquid like, metal. Well, to like vibrations and stuff like that, maybe. All right. Danine S says, well, thank you for thoroughly depressing me. Can you offer any hope? No, I can't move to the middle of nowhere. I mean, if you live in a city, the cities are already dystopian. So I don't know. Make the best of it, I guess. I don't know. I, th- I think personally, there's a lot of hope as, as crazy as all this stuff that's going on sounds. Uh, I'll just say this. When I was talking to a bunch of people, um, I even met with Aubrey Marcus, and he found this to be the most fascinating part of it. When everyone was saying, like, the 2020 crash is going to be the biggest, um, what do I get into Bitcoin? Do I, you know, get into the dollar? Do I just buy a bunch of food? You know, what do I do? And every one of these thought leaders said community. Every one of them said, like, you know, community is the number one resource you're going to want to have because it will cover all those other bases. So don't lose hope. Yeah. And bullets. And bullets. Yes. (laughs) Build your community. All right. Let's see. We got a couple more. Um, Right. Rice Ward. Reese Ward. Sorry. They actually made a guy read all 628 pages on the COVID bill that hit the Senate today. He's reading 100 miles an hour and still going right now. That sounds hilarious. Zip Tie says around 1863, the CSA made the first ironclad by raising the USS Virginia and lining the outside with iron. The Merrimack. The same year, the Union made the first all-iron warship, the Monitor. After their first battle, all other navies were obsolete. That's amazing. I remember mm. hearing that they just shot at each other for hours and neither boat would sink. <laughs> I, think, I don't know if it was hours, but that's how yeah. the battle Probably. went. Simple Caleb says, hey, everyone, if you were 22 years old right now, what industry would you get into for work? Would you do what you are doing now? Would you pursue a new emerging market? Uh, I have no idea what I'd be doing if I was 22 right now. I know what I was doing when I was 22. I think I was skateboarding and uh, playing guitar in the subway. You know what I would say? I mean, everything that I've been looking at with where we're headed with the reskilling and, you know, long gone are the days where you have a job for 30 years and then you retire. It's going to you're just going to keep needing new jobs. That's what the World Economic Forum is saying. Um, I would say, like, definitely moving digital content like online content is all is definitely going to be in demand more and more and more. So like, I mean, coding, yeah, for sure. But I would say get into something that you're passionate about. That'll make sure you have longevity and something with online content. I, I am definitely biased because that's what I'm into, but it's, it's replicable. You know, you you can make one piece of content and replicate it a million times for free. Yeah. So, but definitely look in that direction. Right on. Or get into knitting. My friends, smash the like button. Smash that like button if you haven't already. Subscribe at the notification bell. And if you really do like the show, share it with your friends. It is the number one way that you actually grow a podcast. We greatly appreciate it. If you're listening on iTunes or Spotify, leave us a good review. Give us all of those really great stars. It's also a a, a way to help. You can follow me on all social media platforms at TimCast. My other YouTube channels are YouTube.com slash TimCast and YouTube.com slash TimCast News. This show is live Monday through Friday at 8 p.m. We will be back tomorrow night for sure. 
Ben, is there anything you want to mention, uh, social media or any shows or anything you're doing? Yeah, well, just go to benjosephstewart.com. That's where I have my news channel. I have my deeper dives there. You can become a member. And it's really, I'm going to have some online courses here soon called the Awakening Protocols, where people are going through whatever they're going through now, you know, pandemic, world changing, and they're just protocols to help people deal with a rapidly changing world in a non-intellectual, very physiological, emotional way. Um, but just benjosephstewart.com. I'm building a big database and connecting with like-minded content creators. Beautiful. Thank you so much for coming, Ben. Thanks, um, thanks for having me. You guys. guys can follow me at iancrossland.net and follow my socials all over the internet at iancrossland. Happy to have you here. Thank you guys so much for coming. This has been fantastic. Yeah. And I was thinking about the reviews on uh, the podcast because I've been looking at them and they are good. And I would love it if you guys would go and give good ratings to us if you like us and tell us what you don't like if you don't like us. Um, I'm Sour Patch Lids on Twitter and on Minds and Real Sour Patch Lids on Instagram and Gap. We will have a bonus segment exclusive for members only at TimCast.com in about an hour or so. So we will see you all there. And thanks for hanging out. Bye, guys.